up another episode of Rope Effect Podcast. I'm your host, Ricardo Vance, also known as Ricky Vance, and a great episode for you today, another lengthy episode. Today we have Brad Brinkley and Monica Perez from the Propaganda Report. Definitely check out their podcast. It's a great podcast. If you like mine, you'll definitely like theirs. And I'll put links to their podcast in the show description, also link to their social media accounts and all that stuff. So uh, definitely check that out. I'll keep this intro short because it is another lengthy two-hour podcast. But we do have a lot going on, so I'm going to try to speak quickly. Patreon, if you want to support the show, if you can support the show, please do. The links are in the show description. I also have a PayPal account. If you are a Patreon supporter, I'd let you know in advance who I'm booking and what's going on behind the scenes before anybody else knows. If you want to tip the show, you have a couple extra bucks. I do have a PayPal account you can tip the show. I have a new merch store with tons of hoodies and shirts and long sleeve shirts and tank tops. It's the rippleeffectpodcastmerch.com. You can also go to the rippleeffectpodcast.com and you'll find links to the merch store and also links to a bunch of other stuff like my social media accounts and my PayPal account and whatnot. But try to contribute something that you think is equal value that you're receiving from the show. So the value for value system like a lot of other shows do. If you're getting some type of value out of this, and which I know you guys are because I'm getting tweets and messages and positive feedback, then just try to give something back close to that value. It doesn't have to be the same value, but you decide and something close to that value. And everybody who has, I truly appreciate it. People who've already purchased merchandise, people who are already Patreon supporters. I truly, truly, truly appreciate it. I can't thank you guys enough for doing that. Hopefully more people jump on board and do that and I can give you more shows and I can give you my full attention and energy completely devoted to this. And that's the goal, the end goal. Um, I don't want to do marketing and advertisers and I do get hit up by people in regards to that. And I, I hate commercials and other shows. So I'm, I've said since the beginning, I don't want to do commercials on, on this show. Obviously a little bit of extra financial support would help to get me closer to the goal of doing this full time. But you know what, as long as I have a full time job and I can support myself that way, then I'll, I'll do it. And, and hopefully eventually just doing what I love and putting out something that I think is important and valuable. Hopefully that is enough to uh, to get you guys to support me in other ways with merchandise, with PayPal, with Patreon, and, uh, and I can avoid ever having to even contemplate doing commercials or anything like that. So also we have a Union of the Unwanted coming up, which is our alternative media swap cast type thing we do. It's going to be on the 14th, 7 p.m. Eastern time, live streamed, and uh, support the show any way you can. Rate, review, share um, RV36 on just about all the social media platforms. You can also find my personal page, Ricky Verandas or Ricardo Verandas and the Ripple Effect Podcast Facebook page. So tons of different ways to connect with me. And uh, and that's it. Enjoy the conversation. Peace. Uh, 
so you do a patreon like so what do you do you do like a podcast while drinking or how does that work no it's not it's a it's a youtube it's live on youtube and binkley and i are up on the screen having our cocktails and and it's one is like for a well, almost all the patrons and one is just for VIP patrons and they just chat and we put up their comments and we talk about them, but mostly they're on the side getting drunk like with each other. It's as if it were a real party. Yeah, they have and an after party too. Yeah, and then they go to Discord. Discord for the after party, which I won't go to because it's like having your mom at your, no, I'm not doing it. it gets, it's a so little wait, crazy. Wait. So you guys, so you, you go live on YouTube, so you, you literally just talk about what they're talking about in the comments like yeah, you were we at a start bar, out saying like bullshitting what are you drinking and we talk about the drinks last time i mean it got really usually it, it quickly devolves at times and then we pull it back up to so some people want to joke around some people want to ask questions and talk about issues and we, and we kind of balance right that yeah that wave. they think it's funny to like shock me like what the fuck is bootcake or whatever and then they explain gross shit to me or we just talk about how you know how to get your egg whites creamy on your like <laughs> cocktail, your your sour, and then people you know like one guy is a CE4 guy. He likes aliens, and you know he'll just be like, "Hey, if you want to meet me at wherever, we're gonna make contact tonight." And it's just it's funny. And if you want, if you ever just want to be a fly on the wall, I can send you the link, and you can just watch it. Sam has been a guest. We don't usually do guests, but. You can just watch because it's a good idea. Like I've been a, a guest on people's patron things before. And I'm like, no, no, no. You need to have cocktails and not like leave it out there for the world forever to scrutinize. Like get fucked up, whatever. And then just make it completely private. Well, it, it's funny because uh, I do something. Oh, I've, I haven't done it in a long time, but I used to do this thing called fights with friends. And uh, so I have a table back here and I have a uh, big screen TV oh, yeah. and we would, it's, it was similar to Joe Rogan, it, uh, fight companion. It was like my version of it. So I called it fights with friends because we we're watching the fights with friends and it was a, oh, nice. yeah. And it was just like a fun little filler show where just like, okay, I give the, the fans a little bit more content, but there's no preparation. There's no having to be factual or right about anything, which <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, my listeners None are used of to that. that. Yeah. And you just have fun. And because the UFCs, I don't know if you guys watch uh, MMA at all, but yeah. they're they're kind of long. So you start drinking. And uh, <laughs> and by time, like halfway through the event, we're annihilated. And it's just it's yeah. hysterical. I mean, it just is we, it like a four hour thing that you're you broadcast for four hours? You just sit there and let it go. Yeah. We just sit there, talk and we watch Great. the fights and we barely. And it's funny because now I get why Joe Rogan talks about how he's like, oh, I'm sorry. We ne we barely talk about the fights. I can see how that happens because we end up drinking, barely paying attention to the fights. And, and every once in a while, we'll say something and then we're telling stories or whatever. But uh, I remember so many of my friends that were uh, I invite to to do this with me, and they're like, nobody's gonna listen to that. And I'm and I would sh send them like download numbers. I'm like, listen, people, even after the fights, because we're streaming live on YouTube, yeah, and, and with the fights, I'm like, people are going back even after they know the results. They're going back and listening to it even like a week later, months later. And um, I think people just like seeing. I I think that was kind of the appeal of podcasts in general. It was refreshing, actually finding a place where it sounded like casual conversation it didn't sound like propaganda like the the name yes. of your, your show right um, right and and it i think that was refreshing it was like the one place where you felt like somebody wasn't selling you something or trying to push you in one direction or you know trying to get you to join their team with this i think it actually gained popularity when 
bars closed. Well, it's so. What do you guys drink if we're we're on the topic? What what do you usually drink? What's your drink of choice? I have a little cocktail blog that's really just my way of recording recipes. So when I'm at my sister's house, I can just like, oh, I know how to make a great watermelon margarita. But my favorite thing is just gin sour, which is gin, lemon juice, sugar, and I like to put an egg white in it. If you put Cointreau, it's a white lady, and it goes from there. And Binkley likes whiskey Gatorade and, yeah, <laughs> whiskey and Coke. Sometimes yeah. Gatorade, whatever's in the house and whiskey, but usually whiskey and Coke. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm a whiskey guy. I just had uh, John Finch on, and we we're talking about you know whiskey and and whatnot. I don't know. There's just it's funny how like it's making a comeback with a young crowd too. Like you always th- thought like old man drinking whiskey, smoking a cigar, but I yeah. And this kind of goes into some of the stuff we talk about on the show. It's just in regards to I feel like the closer we get to the digital world, the more we appreciate the analog world. You know, like I remember growing up, people just want to get hammered. Like what what was the cheapest thing to get hammered? And now it seems like yeah. You know, we have all this digital entertainment, but now more than ever, people are appreciating things like smells and tastes and, and things that our ancestors have been appreciating forever. You think about it since the beginning of time, like if, even if you're a hunter gatherer, something you look forward to was the end of the, the day, the meal, right? Everybody gathered together, the tribe would gather together, they'd eat together. So there's something about like your palate, smells, tastes that I think uh, bring people together. And it really is like a, a social event, you know, even drinking for a long time. I think um, Massachusetts had a law. I mean, obviously this was a long time ago where uh, every town and city needed to have a pub and like one didn't and got fined. And, uh, and it was because the pub was where like people argued about stuff and debated stuff. And it was always next to the church because uh, the church didn't have heat. A lot of times people would go to the pub afterwards and, and uh, warm up and, you know, and it, it was a, it was a social event. It was where I had, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the author C.J. Werleman, he he used to write a lot of books for uh, on on um, religion and atheism and all this stuff. But uh, and then he had like a famous I don't know him and Sam Harris uh, would go at it a lot. But he uh, he's from Australia, and we would talk about like pub culture, how Australia still has pub culture, and and he came to America, and he's like, you guys like there's no such thing as pub culture. He's like, you guys go to the bar to watch a TV or listen to loud music or look at your phone and ignore each other. Like nobody's having these conversations. And I feel like having a cocktail and when you make it like the thing, like this is what we're doing. We're, we're going to experiment with some drinks or we're going to, you know, um, do some sampling of some whiskeys or have a cigar. Uh, and I think I got attracted to that stuff. Not so much because my palate enjoyed whiskey that much at the, at the time or because I really enjoyed cigars that much, but I enjoyed the kind of similar to why I enjoy podcasts. I enjoy any reason that I can find to bring people together and just have conversation and enjoy company. And uh, those things I think do that. And these days, yeah, they're taken away from it by the social distancing and having to stay at home. It's hard for people to meet up and have those one-on-one conversations. They kind of push people to the digital Times square, not Times square, the digital public square. And they do. I did notice completely that, closing the bars and the churches while other things are open was absolutely meant to keep us from commiserating about the bullshit. But I did want to say about whiskey and wine, you make a great point. And those two K, you didn't say wine, but for me to have a gin sour, you really, you can talk about how you make it and whatever, but it's really about just enjoying it. It's refreshing, but whiskey and wine has its own language. You can share that 
through words. So you don't need to actually be next to each other. And you can, it is, it is kind of a talking sport weirdly. And I, and so that's another thing where you can actually share sensory or sensual experiences without necessarily being next to each other. And I, I really like, I mean, I hate to say that I like anything about the lockdown because it's complete bullshit. And I feel like I'm a prisoner and I'm a, I, at best I'm a zoo, a zoo animal but I do, I did find that now that this Zoom party thing is normalized, I can connect with, have drinks with people who live in cities I've moved away from and I really never got a chance to hang out with them. But now I can, it's not weird for me to say, hey, let's have a Zoom tale at, you know, eight o'clock. I love it. Yeah. Well, my, uh, I'm Portuguese and I was born in Portugal. My parents still make wine. My ancestors, my grandfather, my great grand. And the winemaking thing has been like a part of our, our, I just thought it was because my parents liked wine, but the more I I would observe the whole, like coming together to make it, everybody's eating and drinking while you're helping. I'm like, oh, it's kind of like church. It's kind of like uh, all these traditional things. Like I have friends that are Muslim that, uh, you know, they don't, they're not strict Muslims, but they do Ramadans and they do all these things. He's like, oh, it's about getting the family together. He's like, I enjoy the event, you know? So I think that's, uh, that's super important. You know, I've said this on this podcast a bunch of times, so hopefully the listeners don't get sick of me saying it. But f- from my perspective, it seems like a lot of foreigners, you know, which we all our ancestors are, unless you're, you're Native American, they come here for this idea of like this American dream, right? And we're sold this, this idea that like, oh, we need to get ahead. We need to get ahead. It's about financial gain. And then you lose all these things that made you happy before you had any of the material stuff. And, um, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's something that, that really, you know, there's uh, things that are absolutely great about America. And, and, you know, even during the lockdown, I had a lot of listeners hit me up and like, oh, this shit's happening in my country, but I don't see that happening in Americans. Cause you guys have this like fight back type attitude. I'm like, yeah, some of us do, a lot of us do, but there's also a lot that just give in. And, um, but I, I also think that one of the bad things about, uh, America is that people lose their culture, right? They get so caught up with the, I, I have a chance to buy material things and financially get ahead more than I have ever had in my life. And then you get so caught up with that, that you're, you're overstressed at work. You're over, um, you know, you're overworked. You don't have energy for your family, your friends, any of the hobbies you enjoy. And, uh, and so I think you, it, it's really important to hold on to those things. You know, I remember my dad had his wine cellar right under my, my bedroom and they would sit in the wine cellar and just bullshit and, and, you know, eat chorizo, which is, you know, Portuguese sausage and, and just drink all night. And I'm like, aren't these guys bored? They've been out down there for hours. And now, like, as I get older, I look back at it. I'm like the simple thing of just enjoying a glass of wine that you also appreciate probably a little more because you made it. Um, and, and the chorizo, the sausage that you made and just having a conversation for hours. I'm like, that simple thing is so enjoyable. Like, that's all I want to do now. I mean, podcasting is like my alternative to, to it, you know, cause I can't drink and smoke while I'm doing it, but it's like, I get the same type of pleasure of just like enjoying the most simplest of things. Um, which I think why so many of us podcasters, uh, saw how, how important this was this, like there's, I, I knew, and I, maybe I'll, I'll let you guys include yourselves too like your opinion on this, but I could foresee podcasts being a huge thing and blowing up because I thought there's a need for it. And I also think there's so much value and so much we learn from long form conversations. Now, I don't have to tell you or anyone listening that the news is biased. All news is biased. Whether intentional or unintentional, there's always at least some level of bias in the news that we consume. And that bias does impact how we see the world. 
Fortunately, Ground News is making it a lot easier for us to quickly recognize this bias. Ground News is a new app that provides readers with objective data about the underlying political bias in all published news stories. It's the first ever news comparison platform. Here's how it works. Ground News collects data from over 50,000 news sources and runs real-time media bias tracking. Then, the coverage bias rating is visually shown alongside the story. For every story you read, you can compare how reporting differs across sources with different political biases and see if the coverage of a story skews more to the left or more to the right. Ground News represents a larger movement of people who are fed up with traditional, highly politicized news. No one wants to be spoon-fed ideas or subtly influenced in covert ways. What Ground News does is gives the power to the people so you can make up your own mind. If you want to learn more and try out Ground News for yourself today, and I highly recommend that you do, head on over to ground.news prop. That's ground.news prop. And enter the code prop, that's spelled P-R-O-P in all caps, to get seven days free of Ground News Pro. And as an exclusive limited time offer, listeners of the Propaganda Report will get 25% off of Ground News Premium membership. So what are you waiting for? Start judging the truth for yourself today. Definitely check out Ground News, y'all. One of the things that I found useful in their website and their app is that it shows you how outlets across the political spectrum are reporting on the same story, and it enables you to see when media outlets are ignoring certain stories that might oppose the narrative that they're pushing so check it out i think it's definitely gonna blow up i think it'll eventually overtake radio it's starting to i mean it's not there yet but uh, it you will eventually so? overtake radio you don't think it's it... close it's getting close the ad dollars are definitely shifting from radio to podcasts that's quite an insight i hadn't thought about with the way people my father used to have me making whiskey sours when i was a little kid they were disgusting i mean they weren't like fresh egg whites and squeezed lemons and stuff, but there were Collins mix and whiskey, but he would have his sisters over and family and stuff, but his age, and they would just really stay up all night, smoke like he didn't smoke, but you would never not let people smoke in your house. I mean, that would be outrageous. And they would talk and have fun and it would get louder and funnier as the night went on. And now that we work so much and I noticed with, with, kids and just you get totally exhausted and you you're you have no energy left for the entertainment part of the evening so a lot of it is super passive so like i started watching the x-files again which was a was a patron suggested in one of our parties did you start watching it again yes and it's great and i love it but it's and it's something that my kids might pop in for but it's totally passive whereas and then in that case you don't exchange ideas you don't think you don't communicate you don't grow you don't understand I mean not like we're not growing but it's it, the art of conversation is creative it's enriching it's educational it's fun and and you're right podcasting might actually be that's why I really can't do it I, I don't know about you Binkley but I don't feel like I could do it alone it wouldn't really it really wouldn't be fun it would be fun for me I don't think it'd be fun for the listener and it has all those things it is educational and creative and all that but maybe it does fill that fill that void that we're that we're missing from having even just like people living near each other your family lived down the street and you could sit on the porch on a Saturday but now like I've moved so many times I don't I don't have anybody I could invite to the porch and right now too because people aren't driving as much podcasts are going to pop Oh, we, did we lose you? Oh, no. Binkley, come back. Maybe he'll drop off and come back. Yeah, yeah, ho hopefully. If not, I could always start the Heck call again. But, 
Yeah, keep talking. <laughs> no, but I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I, uh, I've thought about doing solo podcasts myself, but there's something about the, uh, the art of, of co- conversating with somebody else that, like, I feel like I don't, I almost feel like I'm preaching when I'm talking to myself. Like, if you do a podcast by yourself, I'm like, I don't want to, like, yeah. sound like I have all the answers and I, I know what I'm saying because I don't. And, and my, you know, my opinions are constantly changing and all this stuff. So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm with you where I, I think. And it's it, monotone. It's oh. it's monotone. I can see you all. He's probably, oh, he can see us, but we can't see him. Oh, he's back. There you go. There you go. Perfect. You guys see me? Yep. Yes, now. Oh, that was weird. weird. I can see you guys the whole time. <laughs> You're like, why are these guys talking over me? Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry buddy. I feel like sorry, you disappeared. You blinked out. <laughs> oh, but you you want to continue, uh, Brad? Um. I lost track. I was trying to figure out how, why I wasn't out, so I, I lost track of where you guys were. Well, to, to be able to just go on and on alone, you do stuff. Like, you'll do videos that are humorous where you'll cut yourself in with other clips. And that's fun and funny. It takes a lot of work. But just to – I just feel like even to make a five-minute thing where you wanted to make a point or – I just feel like it's just – I just could never do it. And I, I was doing radio for a long time, but I just absolutely needed a call – or someone to talk to. I just don't. I and I feel like maybe that is what distinguishes podcasting. And I listen to some people who do have their own shows and just like Rush Limbaugh. I always said about him, like I disagree with half of what he says, and the rest of the time he's lying. So <laughs> you know. So I, but I still would listen to him. I would listen to him. I haven't listened to him in a really long time, but I used to listen to him all the time. He just had a way of engaging, and it really felt... Even his producer never got on the mic, but he would talk to him snurdly. And then he just had a really, I would say, almost unmatched... You know, definitely unmatched, but I don't think anybody else had a way of making it feel like you were conversing part of the conversation when it was just one guy. He has but great he, pacing he storytelling. He doesn't yeah, he rush. Did. Rush doesn't rush. He takes his yeah. time. He invented oh, yeah. the genre, and he still is one of those rare cases where he still remains the the master of it. But I, other than that, I don't. I don't. I, I think talk radio is hard to listen to. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Tom Hartman's the oh, okay at it. Alex Jones is uh, uh, at least entertaining. You know, I, I think that's yeah. a big part of it. I mean, I think a lot of people from outside uh, the alternative media world think like, Oh, anybody who listens to Alex Jones are just effing crazy. I'm like, I think some people actually just like the entertainment. They like, yeah, he's a good entertainer. He, he is, I mean, midnight Mike from Dolby DM podcast. I mean, I don't know if you guys ever listened to his show, but they clip his stuff all the time. Like the most outrageous stuff. And they'll just throw samples of him saying crazy shit all the time during this show. (laughs) I always tell him during the union of unwanted, I'm like, you got to do more of that. You got to do more of that. But he's always like, I don't want to interrupt anybody with an Alex Jones, uh, sample or whatever. But, um, but it's hilarious. It's, it's he does so, those super cuts of them. Yeah, it's so funny. Cause, uh, but back in the day, he had a lot of good information. Oh, he was at I mean, he Waco. Was the, he was at... Only guy. Um, yeah. Wow. You know, he, he was, was at, the only guy I could listen to. Yeah. Back, you know, well, and, and uh, Think about six, his documentaries. How into, in, yes. influential... I mean, uh, what was it? Not Invisible Empire. That was Jason Bergman's side. The other one, 9-11 and The Road to Tyranny. Um, he's had a couple like really influential documentaries where you're like, holy shit, like this is well researched. It brought me down some rabbit holes. I might've not went down. And you know, the truth is he's over the top, but he, he actually, when people call him out, he's okay with 
admitting that he's wrong on stuff. I mean, Joe Rogan's done it when he was on there where he's like, well, you know, this and that. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, yeah. and it's like he doesn't. I mean, I think he's really passionate. And and I think a little bit is also ent- entertaining. You know, it's a little bit of both. He's passionate and he knows if he lets his emotions go buck wild, then it's entertaining yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it helps the ratings. But he was at Waco. He was one of the first ones to be outspoken about 9-11. He was- There's the chance, though, that like he had Charlotte Ezerbite and he had Ben Livingston, who talks about the weather control during Vietnam. Charlotte Ezerbite kind of pulled the curtain back on Skull and Bones. He was all over that. But I do have to wonder now that I mean, when I saw him on Piers Morgan after one of the big shootings, making gun rights seem ridiculous, I had to wonder if that stuff in the beginning drew us in and then something happened to him where it actually started discrediting some of our some of the some of the positions on which he was right. But because of his delivery, it made it seem ridiculous. I mean, you got to consider that possibility. Yeah, he uh, it's funny because I go back and forth with like my love hate relationship with Alex Jones, because in some way he's done some good for the movement or for many movements, because he is one of the people because he's fearless in regards to he doesn't care if if people don't believe him. He doesn't care if he sounds like an idiot, if something seems too over the top. Um, So when it's taboo, I mean, right after 9-11, when it was very taboo, people were very emotional. I mean, he was outspoken about it. You know, you look at so many different situations like that where he. He talked about things that were true. So he, he does help expose some things, you know, the agent provocateurs and he talk, you know talks about a lot of stuff. But then he also tiptoes around some stuff like he does seem and he's being obviously called out for it where he doesn't seem to critique Israel the way he critiques other people. You know, he is a Christian. I mean, we have to remember that, you know, being Christian that we'd like to believe that like as humans that we just it's all just looking at things logically. You know, we're just logical creatures. And I came to this conclusion completely based on the research I did and nothing to do with like my upbringing or any trauma I might have or, right, right. You know, or my re- religious views or spiritual views or whatever that may be. Um, and that just isn't the case. You know, I think we have to be honest that like a lot of times, uh, and that's why I, I always preach, like we always have to reevaluate where we stand and why we stand there, where our beliefs came from, like the root of our beliefs, the origins of our beliefs, like, okay, this is where I stand on this issue, but why, you know, it, let me go back. And and that's where, where I think Monica, what you're talking about conversation. And I think uh, the reason you like to have either a call or somebody to kind of rift with is because um, if you're truly open-minded to the to things uh, you, there's a, it's almost like you're practicing reevaluating your beliefs because somebody will say something, then you're like, Oh, I haven't thought about it like that. And then somebody else will say something and you go back and forth and uh, and then also just verbalizing your beliefs, I think, makes you have to analyze them much deeper than you would if I was just talking to myself. You know, so if somebody questions where I stand on something, just myself having to defend it will make me like, like, OK, do, have I really thought this out? Do I really have um, some well thought out opinions and ideas to defend this stance on well, this one issue? The calls would do that. When I used to get calls because it was Rush Limbaugh's station, I was at his time slot except for I was on Saturday and people would be listening to him all week and they would expect more of the same. That's what they wanted. That's what they were there for. And I just don't know what WSB was thinking because I was not giving them that. And it would make them mad and they would call and try to. And then I would also get like people from the other end of the spectrum. But always what what happened was I had to figure out two things. One is I had to figure out what. You know, I had to be very, very cautious about 
the facts. I really had to know the facts or what was fact and what was opinion and all that kind of stuff. But I also had to understand who I was and why I was saying, I just remember with the Caitlyn uh, Jenner thing, I, I had an opinion that Caitlyn Jenner was full of it and was not a woman trapped in a man's body when, when Bruce Jenner was fathering six children, you know, I just, but that it was none of my business what he wanted to do or how he wanted to live his life or what he wanted to say about it. And I got hate from like everybody, both sides, just hate, 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 super mean, maybe cry. Really? And yeah, yeah. Oh, I was upset for days. I was getting like hate mail from both sides. You're going to hell and you're a hater. And I mean, but in vulgar terms, it was like, so who who are the two sides? I said, I think Caitlyn Jenner is faking. I do not think that Bruce Jenner was a woman trapped in a man's body when he had all these wives and all these children. I don't believe that. I don't know what he's up to, but I don't believe it. And I just got like the most vile, vulgar nastiness, like Facebooked to me in real time while I was on the air, like trying not to cry during commercials and everything. And then I got like the, these well articulated, I'm, I'm a practicing Catholic. I I'm just, I think it's, as my mother says, a better way to live. I'm not going to argue about, you know, I don't know what the true nature of God is. I'm just doing my best. But I would have real hardcore Catholics writing to me like you are as prideful and arrogant as Eve. You're going to hell. How can you say that it is his right to do what he wants to his body? It's like self mutilation. You're not oh, allowed. That's they, that side. Okay, I was. Yeah, I was wondering what yeah. right. Yeah, people were hating on me from both both sides, and I just realized that I could have done that show so much better if I had really searched my soul as to what I felt and thought and why I thought it was important and what I thought the real issues were. And instead of just playing into either side, I was just trying to walk a line between those two arguments. And I have learned over time that if I really look at the issue at hand, the the story, the two-sided dialectical narrative that's being fed to me, there is a real meaning that's totally beyond any discussion that's happening in the mainstream. And the only way I was going to get through those shows where people would call me and attack me is if I really understood what I thought and why, going to what you were saying, Ricky, what I thought and why. And then I could not only defend it and present it clearly, when people challenged it, I could say, oh, I thought of that, et cetera. You know, here's what I thought. Or, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Let me add that to my ways. And that's when, Binkley, you say you like you just short circuit people because they would call and they would expect a certain answer. And I'd say, hey, you know, you know, maybe you're right. Like, I let's talk about it. And people would just freak out because that's that's the only way to get through it. And nobody almost nobody does it. Yeah, they would call, a lot of them would call and they would have these scripts that they would get sent to them from these activist organizations because I, I would sign up for all these and go to their trainings and I would get the scripts and the email and I made a few videos where I called and I just used their script verbatim regardless of what the other person said. I just I kept reading <laughs> straight from the script. And we could tell when people would call in with one of those scripts and they're used to, they're used to there being a fight. Like they're going to call Rush Limbaugh or Eric Erickson. They're they're so they already had that that emotion where they're ready just to fight with somebody. They're expecting it, but Monica would actually she would listen and she okay. would say, "Oh well, I, you know, tell me more." And she would ask questions, and they would just kind of like. Well, and a like, lot of times they, they would say, "How can you defend Trump when whatever?" I was like, "Oh, I don't defend Trump." Totally. Like, you're completely right. I said, I also don't defend Hillary for, you know, she kills people. She's a Republican as far as you're concerned. Like, whatever. And and just they, they would 
but that's because people it's just not it's not what they do and i feel like that was what was so good about a lot of the real calls not calls were scripted but a lot of the real calls if there were open-minded people and there were a lot of them that we could actually get to a little more truth and boy that would really add value and that's why i really don't i don't miss the show for myself like the, being on terrestrial radio because it was super super stressful and a lot of work to be that person but it was such a unique opportunity to add value and get real people because I know a lot of I, I mean, I've never heard of a radio host who did not screen based on what they wanted to talk about or the opinions what they wanted to bring out. And I would never do that. And the consequence was people would call in with their viewpoints that were unexpected, original, outside of type, you know, and it had and and it really got people to want to I felt like it had a lot of value in the community, but it just when I when I start when I guess we were talking about towards the end I had an executive producer who's like, oh, your podcast, great, bring that on the air. And then, like, Binkley likes to say, what did we hit on that last show before they gave us our walking papers? Well, yeah, on that last show, <laughs> we covered predictive programming, the coronavirus. Uh, event 201. Event 201, 9-11. I think aliens Probably might have gotten in there. About everything Bill you can Cosby's cover on the conspiracy innocent, like, damn it, we went through. Brett Kavanaugh has a Clinton show. Yeah, and then the next, the, the next week, it's uh, you guys are gone. It's just like, wow, you know, uh, yeah. So, so whatever, I think we went a little too far, but <laughs> the only, the only thing that was really lost was this ability to, to, to resuscitate or tap into this art, which I think is going to die or, or maybe we'll keep it alive in podcasting, but it'll only be for people who are looking for it. Whereas when it, on the radio, it's just that those, I mean, literally Rush, Rush's fans are called ditto heads ditto heads. So if that's what you're looking for, okay. But if you were looking for that and then somebody opens your mind, that's some value added. But if you are, so people who come and listen to our podcast, we love them. They love us, but they're, they're kind of already, they have to be already there a little bit or they wouldn't, wouldn't be there in the first place. So that was the only difference about. We did have one troll that would call in almost every week and he had oh. the most he had the most distinct voice you could ever have. He, he just sounded almost like Kermit the Frog. And we knew exactly who he was as soon as he called, but he would and we could see the phone number, but he yes. would give a different name every single time as though he didn't have the world's most like, easiest Peter, voice to recognize. Right, and I would just forget what he, the, his like presenting identity, and I would just call him Paul all the time. <laughs> and he's just like, what, what? I'm like, Paul, what? Oh, sorry, Jimmy. And he's like, uh. But he even he kind of got one over. He always wants to talk about gun control. Anyway, it, but it he we even got him to kind of be civil to us after a while. And I just, I feel like that drinking in the basement or drinking on the front porch and having that conversation was something that raised that elevated the bar. And you know what else it does when it's in your house is it teaches the children. Like you said, you were listening, you were listening. You can listen to people drink and smoke and cuss and laugh and um, tell dirty jokes. But in, in that you are going to hear how people get along, how they communicate ideas, differences. They're still friends. And my dad would, you know, hates womanizing vulgarians but that's his brother and and then they would you know i just i feel like that that kind of community it makes me sad to think that we're isolated from each other from those kind of crossovers where you have that kind of accidental exposure to ideas and communication yeah it, it's uh it's definitely 
And and now, I mean, it's always been divide and conquer where you get people to fight, you know, among one another. But this is uh, probably one of the most obvious times in regards to that. I mean, masks have, have never been about science or, or safety. It's about politics. Like you wear one because you're a Biden supporter and Trump didn't take it seriously. And you don't wear one because you're a Trump supporter. And, you know, right now it, it seems like, you know, uh, the Trump side is probably uh, much more right than the other side. But, um, but you know, we talked about, you know, I talk about sometimes it's like during the Iraq war, you know, Fox News, you, all, all the right people on the right are like, oh, look, Fox News, they're right. You know, they, they, were, they are the real news and, and CNN's the fake news. And it's like, yeah, right now, you know, but, you know, you look throughout history, counting on who's in power and what the, you know, agenda is, uh, they'll push propaganda just like everybody else will, you know. So it just happens that they, they seem to be the on the right side of history at least temporarily, but it's, um, it, yeah, everything's very tribal. You know, it, it's very hard to find people to, uh, to have a discussion. I mean, the union of the unwanted shows, I think the popularity has really increased dramatically it, because, and, and I know at least from my experiences from the, from people contacting me, they just seem to really enjoy the fact that we're willing to get so many different people with so many different backgrounds, different researchers who, who've read different things, watch different, uh, you know, uh, documentaries, um, listen to different podcasts and we bring all our information and perspectives that were molded by those things and we share it and we're willing to be open-minded to other people's perspectives and, and ideas. And uh, I, I think people need that. I think the world needs that. You know, in, in the past, I've attempted to host quite a few like debates and and just bring people together that I think, okay, they don't know. They're both civil. They don't agree on everything. I think this could be a really thought-provoking discussion i mean i don't know how you guys are but in the past i used to love watching debates because i loved like just it wasn't you know because i was it was mostly just because i wanted to see ideas challenged and i wanted to see how they defended those ideas and if they could defend those ideas so i think there's a need for that there's a need for people to uh to not just because most of us i forget which comedian says that he's like most of us go to you agree with me.com you know you just go to the website that that basically just says all the same shit you already believe and agree with and um and and i'm not like that and i think a lot of people there's probably more people out there than uh we like to think that actually want to hear a debate because they want to hear their ideas challenged they want to hear ideas that they're not sure about quite yet challenged to see how they're defended to help mold their own perspectives i like the debates when they actually respond to questions and they're they're given challenging follow-up questions they kind of devolved especially these these latest democrat primaries last year just into it didn't matter what the question was they're just repeating their campaign talking points and the commercial ads that you see all the time just not responding at all to what's being addressed and the lines kamala harris's lines all the other candidates lines they're so scripted they're so planned out and rehearsed they seem so unnatural i i liked them four years ago this this past round i did not well, I, 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 I wasn't referring to those debates. I was referring. I'm sorry. I probably should have specified. I, I meant just debates in general. Like I'll look up somebody I like, like a that, you know, Thaddeus Russell has been on the show. He's always open to debates. It, he'll. Oh, yeah. Every once in a while, you'll see him on a podcast and he'll have a, actually he's had debates. I remember years ago with uh, somebody who was just on my last show, uh, Brett Vanat from the School Sucks Project. And, um, you know, he's. You go back in the archives and you can find those debates where Thaddeus is pushing back, then Brett's pushing back. And it's fun because it's like a lot of times they're talking about stuff that I haven't really thought out 
quite yet. So I'm like seeing where this conversation is going or, uh, or Jay Dyer's known for doing a lot of debates, you know, th- those are fun, but you're right. I, when, you know, that's like even the religious, you know, the religious, the, uh, religious person against the atheist person. Like when it, a lot of those debates are, are pointless because you're, you're just going there to defend your team. You never give the other person credit. You're just trying to win, you know? And it's like, those are the debates, like you said, that are, are pointless. It's like, I'm just here to defend my team. When you make a point, I'm not going to acknowledge you made a point. I'm going to actually go, go completely ignore it and just try to make my point. And, and I'm like, okay, what do you gain from this? You know, it's not like the atheist person's ever like, yeah, I think I'm a little closer to, uh, to understanding God, you know, and, or vice versa, <laughs> yeah. you know, it just, so yeah, I mean, I think if, if you get people who are actually, or, or even, even though he's a little cultish himself and not, uh, Stefan Malihu, you know, same thing. Like he's very open to debates. I don't like a lot of his stuff, but I do like some of his stuff. And I like the idea that he's, he's willing to have debates and, and, and even, you know, I'll give him credit. A lot of times where somebody makes a good point, he'll acknowledge that they made a good point, you know? So, um, you know, it, those type of conversations I think are necessary. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure the constitution and all these things that we love were debated at a pub and people were yelling at each other and people were arguing and, uh, and challenging ideas. And, uh, I think we need more of that. Absolutely. That we need that more right now than possibly any other time in history because people have become short circuited memes where they, they just repeat the things that's pumped into them from their social media or their favorite news network. And, all the propaganda is attempting to prevent that conversation from happening. Nobody reflects anymore. As soon as we get done working, we're, we have three different devices. We have a computer, our phone, and our TV on the background because people are afraid to reflect and to go into those conversations. I think fear is, is one aspect of it. I, I think we just get so distracted with the mind control boxes that people lose time. Oh. We are under stress right now, and if they had the bars open, we would go and just breathe a sigh of relief with some friends, blow off some steam, and talk about how we really feel, which is why when I, I for the longest time, I noticed that in article after article, I would, you could have an entire conversation with some scientist or health leader who the first thing they would say is keep the bars closed in in an article or conversation where they never ever even said wash your hands i mean they would yeah. they really emphasize and churches too i mean the church thing is really it, it's i mean it's totally unnecessary how they wouldn't let us sing in church recently i really can't go because i can't wear a mask for an hour and they're doing it outside it's 118 degrees on sunday and so, what did you tell me you told me something yeah. about catholicism that yeah, you, ne- you they never they never stop doing it, but they stop doing it because they're more right. the way I the way I interpret it was they're more afraid of, of coronavirus than they are of burning in hell for all eternity. Well, they're not Catholics aren't Catholics are not still Catholics. The only thing you care about when you're Catholic is not going to hell to get to heaven. And so if you died young, for example, like if it were uh, I knew a little baby who had Down syndrome who died. Yeah, like as a little six month old baby, he's like at the patron saints of us who have children with Down syndrome because he definitely went to heaven because he didn't sin or whatever. So, you know that you're here just to get to heaven. And part of that, if you're going to live longer than six months, is communication with God. You cannot. And I'm just telling you what I learned as a Catholic. I'm not saying this is what I believe. This is what you should believe. I'm just saying what they what I've thought about it. And the reason you because I thought, why if you have to go to church every Sunday or 
you go to hell. I thought that is a crazy thing. I know so many good people who don't go to church, Protestant or whatever, go to their church, not the Catholic church. And I, and I, I satisfied myself with the answer that you have to communicate with God in that way, learn about God, know him, actually have communion, the sacraments where you um, commune on a deeper level with God. This was my answer to that question. And when so so not going to church on Sunday isn't a mortal sin because the church tells you it's a mortal sin. It's a it's a mortal sin. You're going to go to hell because it you, without that connection, without that practice. And it's even a yogic idea that spirituality is a practice. It's not an idea. So without the practice, you can't have that communion with God. So even when they had like the sex scandals and all that with the with the church and infiltration and Vatican II, my parents who were against all of it. They were so hardcore Catholics. They said, I don't care. The church has the sacraments and the people are the church and I don't care how it's run. I mean, it's sad and we don't want that. You don't, don't give them money if they're going to do stuff like that. But it never had anybody, you know, my parents or any of that crowd actually doubt the church itself. But for the first time in my life, I've seen not my mom, but people who would normally even myself, like not even when I doubted the existence of God, I didn't really say, well, what church is right for me? I just was like, either I'm going to be Catholic or not. Is there a God? And now that they have capitulated to the secular power, which is like never allowed, like they, the reason they can coexist with the secular power is that the secular power doesn't step on the moral toes, which are considered superior. They're capitulating to the secular power at the expense of the communion of the people. And that is absolutely inexcusable. I mean, that to me is if there would be a high treason for a pope to commit against the church, it would be at this point, the pope should say that people have to have the right to go to church and receive communion and all that. They absolutely have to have that. And if they have to leave your country, they have to leave your country. But at least in Italy or Vatican City or whatever, everyone can come because what they're doing is really, especially the old people, who are worried now about death in a way they weren't really facing it before, they are the people who really need the connection. So for me, this is the first time I've ever really decided or thought seriously that that the church was kind of gone, which is hopeless for a Catholic because there isn't another church, except for I think Russian Orthodox counts. Do you know, Ricky, can, can you do Russian or Greek Orthodox? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. I, was I think you're allowed. I, I, you might be. I, I was. Uh, I was also raised Catholic, being Portuguese. So it, yeah, so I did the whole first communion thing and all that stuff. But it is funny because, uh, you know, growing up religious, or at least par my parents trying to push me in in that direction. Uh, I I've always been a person that like I always try to go against the grain. I ask questions, and I didn't like the fact that organized religion didn't seem to to be open to that. And so I think that pushed me away. And then I went to the whole other direction where I was like. Oh, Richard Dawkins. Oh, uh, uh, you know, Christopher Hitchens. I love these guys. These guys, what they're saying is making sense. And, and yeah, this doesn't make sense. And that doesn't make sense or whatever. And then after a while, I'm like, oh, crap. I just left a team to join another team. Like, these guys are just as extreme. And, and they also believe they have truth with a capital T. And they have all the answers. And I'm like, well, where the hell is the middle? Because I don't think either one of them can be sure of anything. Like, they can't. One side can't it's be sure. That, yeah. You know. And well, this is what I was into yoga for a while and a Swami I was reading said the or maybe it was like the original yoga sutras from 3,500 years ago. But they question the thing. The answer was the question of God is unknowable 
and irrelevant because the answer of how to live is the same, to free yourself of desire, to free yourself of the self, which the yogis say and Mother Teresa says. And that's why I just thought, okay, the practice of meditating for three hours, I just don't have time for that. And when I tried to do the yoga thing, it would say, like, free your mind of this, like, free yourself. You know, and, I mean, my kids would miss the bus. I would forget to cook dinner. I mean, it was a disaster because I just didn't have the – I had to live in a Western style because I needed that Western structure. But it was true that a practice of, of doing that and having those kind of um, – touchstones for being selfless like the, that's why this like new society really upsets me like this materialism the consumerism that we're driven to constantly is to me it's like sin it's just it's bad it's it's bad for you and and that's what upsets me is that i think that that there it's a fundamentally destructive thing to transform us from kind of spiritual beings who want to attain a kind of creative, um, you know, goodness divorced of this self and instead to just be in a constant state of wanting to satisfy material desires or vanity. I just, you know, it seems like the wrong direction. And, and I cyborgs. feel like it's also yeah, turning us into cyborgs, surrogates like the Bruce Willis movie. Well, I, I think, you know, it's funny because scientists, it was always like, oh, if you're a scientist, then you have to be, you have to be atheist. You can't, because science is, is beyond, you know, religion. It's, we look at the facts and, and it, it all contributed to this idea that science, like, you know, uh, scientists, doctors, uh, policemen, uh, attorneys, uh, all these people, we act like they're, they, they have none of the same flaws that all other humans have, you know, politicians, you know, some people are naive to the fact that politicians and scientists, you know, it was like that meme that was going around. How much does it take to buy a, uh, a scientist as much as it takes to buy a politician or something along those lines. It's like, they don't have a better moral compass. You don't become a scientist or you don't become a, a cop or a attorney or a politician because you're, you're just beyond the average person. You found some type of egoless uh, mentality beyond any of our understanding. So, I mean, because you think about it, like when, when you go to court and it's always like, well, it's the cop's word against mine. And we always just accept the, this idea that it's like, oh, yeah, because his word means his word means more than your. Why? Why does it like why is he a, 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 such a, a more of a moral being than you are? Why should a judge think that? He can't be lying, but you can, like, just because you you decide to take a different career path. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. And as I got older, like, religion, even though I'm, I'm not a religious person, I could see the the importance of it. This kind of goes back to what we opened up with, this idea of, like, you know, Ramadan's bringing people together, uh, cat, going to church, um, the community that it, that it creates. You know, like, if, if everybody just was career focused and there was no church and nobody was religious in, in this, this specific town that I, that I live in, then everybody would just be going to their own houses. Nobody, there'd be less conversation. There'd be less talking. There'd be less helping each other, um, establishing friendships and stuff. So if you need something, you help them out and vice versa. Um, and you'd be more dependent on what it'd be the grocery store. It'd be, you know, back in the day, um, you know, back in Portugal, you, you used to give your neighbor, uh, at the village, your, your tomatoes, because you grew tomatoes, they'd give you cucumbers and you share things and whatever. But if it's, and I think it was Douglas Ruskoff when he was uh, on my show, he talked about the history 
of like suburbs and how like it was it was actually designed. And I think the first suburb was in like New York or something like that, where they like actually designed. Uh, they were trying to like this idea of having privacy and this white picket fence where you put your car in the garage, you close the garage, and you don't talk to anybody. Like this was a thought out idea of like it makes you more dependent on government on the corporation on all this stuff and you look at it it makes sense because even in florida it's i think it's it's actual law it's illegal to be off the grid you know so and even if you get solar panels right you still have to pay some fee and you have to do some shit with the electric company because that you can't be completely off the grid um so it's it's this idea of being dependent on them and never being self-relying you know creatures and uh, and and also like I don't know if you know who Christopher Ryan is. Uh, Christopher Ryan has this uh, great podcast called the Tangentially Speaking, and he's been on my show. He wrote the book Sex of Dawn, but he has a more recent book called Civilized to Death, which uh, I think when I had him on, he was still in the process of writing, and it, it's a great book. And it's all about like this idea of like what's progress, right? Like this idea of okay, we're evolving. We we have quicker computers. We have this. We have that. We have uh, bigger grocery stores. We have more material things, but we're also more self-medicated. We're, there's more anxiety, more depression, more alcoholism, more uh, you know kids on pills and all this stuff. And so it's like, what's progress? We have to redefine progress, rethink progress. When, when you can look at these tribal uh, people that you find in, in the Amazon that have no connection to the outside world, but yet there's no signs of anxiety, no signs of depression. no. So it's like, we we look at like this game and we like we're winning they're losing but it's like if the winners he he I think he said this where he's like if the winners are on dr- pills and self medicating w- with uh with stuff and unhappy and cheating on their wives divorce kids that d- didn't get enough attention so you know TV and, and entertainment raise them and they become you know unhappy creatures themselves then even the winners you know are losers you know <laughs> we have to rethink the whole thing yeah I don't think it that there's this doesn't look like winners, what I see right now, and the way that it feels how separated we are from nature, that we would be completely helpless, at, as you said, if everything suddenly shut off. We don't know how to, most people don't know how to grow anything. We don't know how to live off the land. That's why they, they're pushing to get this 5G infrastructure set up in all the rural areas, and they've been doing that while things have been shutting down. They've been expediting that process because they're framing it as inequality and you're being oppressed if you don't have access to the internet when reality is a lot of people in the rural areas they don't want that access they're trying to get away from it but they're trying to make it like you said impossible to live off the grid yeah and and i also think oh go go ahead monica i know i just that thing with the grocery store that they did that on purpose i'm telling you when this whole thing started and i looked around at people wearing their masks in the grocery store and i thought and we were all desperate to get our groceries and I was I stood there and I just saw it all cookie cutter one after the other and I said to myself they I wonder if they did this on purpose to keep us from having a corner store a community uh, a little town whatever where each little town in the country could just go its own way continue to carve out its own culture be independent care about each other I mean love can be selfish in that if you have a community where you depend on each other that people care about their reputation. They know who's going to be there to help you. You care about that so that people are there to help you. 
And I just remember thinking by having big chain grocery stores with a supply chain and certain regiments of behavior, they can really make sure that everything, that all of our work effort funnels into the system that they control. And also that our conversation, our expectations, our behavior all falls in line with what they require in order to access that stuff. Now, I don't know if we can connect the dots. I would because I do that. But if you would connect the dots between deciding to do that in a suburb and kind of a very big master plan of how do you get totalitarianism? Well, it's not just jackboots or whatever. It's not just Nazis and commies. It's it's this other thing. It's SOMA and you know, it's Prozac and Facebook. It's 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 the it's the brave new world. Brave it's new not world, the 1984. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, that, that was the thing that was the most disturbing was when they were because th- they did such a great job during the lockdown of because initially when I'm like, OK, well, at least we can spend more time with our friends and family. How many you know, I know this problem of materialism and then keeping up with that materialism means you have to devote all your time and energy to a job, which means you have less time to spend with your friends and family. So in some cases, there might be some positives comes out of this because people who are overworking themselves uh, to get a big house that's not going to bring them happiness anyways, or the newer car that's not going to bring them happiness anyways, gets to spend some time with their friends and family for once. And then uh, and then they're like, you know, scaring the shit out of people where they don't even want to do that. So I'm like, OK, now it's gone too far because now you can't even take advantage of this situation uh, the shitty situation and actually be like, you know what? We, me and this buddy, we never get together anymore because he's always working. I'm always working. Our schedules collide. Now we can, you know, come over, have a drink. Nobody has anything to do, but nobody would do that. I mean, people, you're talking about the Zoom conversations. People got used to that. And uh, what was bothersome about the Zoom conversations was, you know, in some cases, I think some good came out of it, like your experience. And you, you kind of uh, found something that was fun to do with people that you don't live near. But people were doing it with people that live down the fucking street. Uh, you know, my wife during w- <laughs> yeah. w- one night was doing it with like my cousins and all this stuff. And everybody's on this giant Zoom call. And she's like, she's like, hey, Rick, you want to talk to your family? I'm like, no. And she's like, why? I'm like, because they live right over fucking there and we're <laughs> Zooming them. I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. And I'm like, and I was like, literally, uh, like legitimately upset about it. I'm like, this is fucking insane. I just felt like shaking people. I'm like, they live yeah. right there. I'm like, and the other cousin lives right over there. I'm like, why aren't we together right now? This is fucking insane and then you would run into each you know each other with a car or something like that i'd, I'd be at uh going going to the park with the kids or whatever because i try to live as normal as possible throughout this whole freaking thing even now my kids i have mask exemption forms wink wink my kids have um panic attacks if they wear masks <laughs> but um but i'm like they're not wearing masks anywhere like you know i we're i don't care if it's required i'm not gonna put masks i'm like i tell my wife because she doesn't do she it's gets bad i think it's bad for them i mean i think it's pretty obvious that it's bad for them yeah well well one, <laughs> you know i mean you're just breathing carbon dioxide which is not what you're supposed to be breathing no you're supposed, supposed to be, be breathing, breathing that out not in it yeah <laughs> right. exactly so you're breathing in what you're supposed to be breathing out of. i mean even yeah, if there's zero yeah i mean it, it, it's absolutely insane so it's just like it is one of those things where just like they did and the thing is so you stopped all group gatherings right so you people were i mean even if you're walking down the street Sometimes it's out of respect. Sometimes it's out of fear. But people would go around you. They didn't want to get too close to you because they didn't know how you you were going to react. So you yeah. literally made it impossible for people to gather and do exactly what we opened this podcast uh, by talking about having some type of um, conversations and talking about what was going on. Because, you know, you'd get somebody who'd be like, you know, and I would find every opportunity. If I was waiting at a takeout line or if I was doing it, I would run in somebody I know. And uh, most people would just kind of keep quiet and keep their distance. 
And I would find like every opportunity to be like, hey, yeah. And then I'd be like, yeah, this thing's fucking ridiculous, huh? And they're like, yeah, it's crazy. And but I'm like, they're saying it's crazy, but they don't know what I'm about to get into. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, how about these tests? I'm like, oh, so inaccurate and all. And I'd go down all the evidence, and I'm like, isn't it crazy? They're shutting down the country. People are are losing businesses. All the big corporations are the only ones that are going to survive. All the mom and pop ones are the ones that are going to hurt. Uh, they're going to be hurting. Uh, people aren't going to want to come uh, to work even when they do open up. Restaurant businesses, for example are one of the most, I think, like, some ridiculous percentage. Like, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, but I get most of my statistics wrong in the show, so people are used to it. Like, I don't know, like 70%, 80% of restaurants fail within, like, the first couple years or first couple months or whatever it may be. Um, and it's it, it, it's already a very hard industry. And now you're saying, hey, you're barely making ends meet when you're 100% capacity. Now we're doing 20% capacity, and you have to clean things more than ever, and you have to do this, and you have to do that. And, um, and so it, it was just, it, it was obvious that they didn't want people to gather together because in many experiences of mine, when I, when I was with somebody, when we finally got together and we started sharing opinions, it didn't take long before I, I could tell that their brain was functioning in the same way mine was where it's like, oh, they, now that we're like, cause a lot of times you just feel like, I don't know if anybody else feels the way I feel like I'm watching and I sound like Oasis, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you're watching the news and you're like, oh, look, everybody's saying this is crazy. I'm having some doubts, but nobody else around me is having doubts. Everybody else is wearing them. You know, I mean, one time. What do you call that thing, please? Spiral of silence. That's a, it's a sociological thing that they study and they use it in propaganda because they know that it, it works. Is when you believe something, but you don't hear other people saying it, you assume, you're, you presume that they believe what this mainstream narrative is. Yeah, they also believe what you believe, but because it is projected as though the majority believes what actually the minority believes, the majority stays silent. Yeah, there's also a thing called, like, I think it's like the 100 monkey theory or something like that, where, like, if a monkey cleans fruit at, at uh, the water, then another monkey will see him do it, then he'll do it, and then he'll do it, and they'll all copy each other. But once you get, like, a group of monkeys, like 100 monkeys, then everybody just assumes, like, somebody must have thought this out. Somebody's doing this because, you know, if this big group of people are doing the same thing, it's because somebody thought it out. This was, you know, something that I should also be doing, so I'm going to just jump on board. And, uh, and yeah, go, Monica. That's what they say about masks, that yeah. I was reading an article, I think, from 2015 from the National Institute of Health in in England, because they're always trying to cut costs in the littlest ways. They spend a lot of money writing these articles about how to cut not that much money. And one of the things was, do surgeons have to wear masks? Is there any evidence whatsoever that in surgery, anyone is protected from the mask? And the conclusion of the article I read was the guy had surveyed all of the studies and he said there's actually never been a study. It ends up it was just something that emerged a long time ago and it is now the equivalent of a tradition. And we probably need to see if there's anything to it. And 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 what what he identified, whether he said it expressly or not, is that it's an assumption. That's what you're talking about. And this is what I think is where people add value, like truthers add value, even we don't agree with the answers, is that it, it actually is a little bit of an art to identify what's an assumption and what's something you really, really know for, for either because you've in, induced it yourself or because you've actually seen some evidence. We're going to do a Flat yeah. Earth podcast tomorrow. That's and what I'm they do with the, the, right, the propaganda relies on those unquestioned assumptions. They, they cannot have people questioning the assumption, so they just drill it over and over again repetitively until it just becomes truth, 
even though it's never actually been questioned or they intentionally to create extent. new ones. Do what? They intentionally create new ones. Oh yeah. Well, it was Joseph Joseph Goebbels, right? If you say a lie enough times, it becomes true without a doubt. I mean, it's and and that assumption is kind of what we were talking about prior to, like this idea of like trying to figure out why you believe something, right? Like the idea that like get to the root of it. Am I just assuming this at some point in my life that I just assumed this was correct and then I never questioned it myself, you know, and and I think a lot of times we do that without even knowing. You know, subconsciously we have things that we just decided is true or we believe or not believe. I mean, for example, flat earth. You brought up flat earth. I think I'm probably we probably agree on uh, you know, wherever our stance is on flat earth, I think we we're probably on the same page. But it's a fucking assumption. Like I'm assuming because everybody else is like, I I've never done some scientific, you know, uh, research. I've never, uh, even looked even the scientific, scientific research I could maybe have read. I've never looked into it to find out like, okay, was that actual good science? Was it backed by science? I mean, look at sugar, for example, Gary Tobbs is, uh, who wrote, uh, the case against sugar. Um, a lot of people just assumed that it was an empty calorie, that it, it was, uh, you know, it was fat that was causing all this uh, heart disease and obesity and all this stuff. And uh, and come to find out, it wasn't. It was just everybody was just assuming that it made sense that like, hey, if I don't want to get fat, I need to not eat fat. You know, I'm like, yeah. you know, it just. It, well, it, yeah, that was pushed down from the top, though. That was somebody with that white coat on saying that thing. Then then that's that's the assumption you absolutely do not question. Yeah. Well, I because you assume that it's yeah. not their assumption that they've proved it that that guy in that white coat wouldn't be saying that if he hasn't done the work. That's why he's got that white coat. That's what Bernays used to promote. He used to walk out. We went out to the David Letterman interview, and Letterman said, "Why do they? Why do they call call you doctor?" And I, I can't remember his exact response, but it was is it's like a one liner about because because of authority. It's just authority. you call a doc, you say you're a doctor because if you say you're a doctor and you have on a white coat, then people will trust what you say without question. And he totally utilized that. He advocated utilizing that. He would talk about, you know, if you need to get some, you need to get people to believe, you need to persuade more people than just say that a study was done, create a, a scientific wing to your nonprofit, say the study came from that scientific wing, bam, that's all you need. Yeah. And oh, go, go ahead, Monica. No, 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 no. that's right. Uh, I was going to say like uh, a little, uh, just a few examples of, of this assumption. I had Gerard Williams on my show uh, twice. The first time he was on was like years ago when I first started, um, probably like six years ago or whatnot. And he's the one who wrote a Gray Wolf, The Escape of Adolf Hitler. And I remember when I had him on, right? Like uh, it, his research was amazing because, you know, this guy is not a conspiracy theorist at all. I mean, he worked for BBC. He's from the UK. He's a journalist. He's He's, uh, you know, the furthest thing from from a conspiracy theorist. And uh, and he's written in so many like mainstream public uh, public public uh, public magazines and newspapers or whatever. And all of a sudden he writes this book about Hitler making Argentina. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. That sounds crazy. And then I'm running into his research and I'm like, oh, it seems to make sense. And then he said something in one of his interviews that he's like, there's no evidence that he he died in 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 Europe. There's no evidence like anywhere that he died in anywhere in Europe. And. And I'm like, oh, go ahead, Monica. Yeah, and think about that for a second. The story is that he and his gal killed themselves and somebody else lit their bodies on fire because he asked them to, and that's it. Then it was completely gone. I mean, the story but in itself isn't that... Well, supposedly the, the Soviets had bones. So when he first was on my show, I had a World War II buffs that were like, oh, I don't know, that sounds ridiculous. And I'm like, well, 
once you look into it, you realize we've all assumed that he died there and this story was true. There's zero evidence. There wasn't just zero evidence. He did a documentary in a book. Eventually, he ends up uh, being, and this was after he did my podcast. I had a lot of people who were like, oh, that seems like just one of those crazy conspiracy theories that, Ricard, uh, that Ricky's into. And then, uh, and then eventually, he ended up doing uh, Finding Hitler or Hunting Hitler on uh, the History Channel. He was on there. He's one of the guys that were was uh, picked to be on there because he's, he spent so much of his life researching this. And um, they actually end up getting access to the bones. It uh, might have been burnt bones or some whatever. And they did DNA tests. And it wasn't a male. It was a female. And it wasn't the age that would have made sense. So it was like, I don't know if it was much no younger. Much way. Yeah. So they know without a doubt that the bones couldn't have been him or his, his wife or girlfriend, whatever. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It's so, like, it, there's no way. So even the one piece of evidence that we thought we had was bullshit. And then, not just that, like, there's evidence, and he, you know, he talks about this in his book, that um, that Hoover actually had an operation looking for Hitler in Argentina. Um, you look at uh, the Soviets, they also didn't believe he died uh, in Germany and actually was looking for Hitler. After the Valkyrie uh, whole thing where they were trying to take him out, he got very paranoid. They've had uh, software... Um, for facial recognition to to, um, to prove that the majority, if not all the pictures after that mi- mission, the Valkyrie mission, were all doubles. It wasn't even him. And um, Winston so- Churchill had a double. I mean, it's not like it was a crazy thing. I believe no. Winston Churchill. I mean, well, this is just a story. I don't know for sure, but it's certainly plausible that he just was drinking a lot. He was a he was a ne'er do well at Churchill, and he. And sometimes he couldn't show up for his speeches, but he always did. And that's because he had a, a, a dead ringer for at least a voice double. If I am, you know, that's what the story is. So it's not like it was outside the realm of possibility. And, and the story of Hitler just disappeared. He just disappeared. You did not have to deal with him after that. That is convenient. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean and or maybe somebody murdered him. You know, I'm not saying he made it to Argentina, but the story is not is kind of implausible. Yeah, well, it, it is. Well, you think about it, right? Like Hitler, and it's, this is the thing is, it, it seemed to make way more sense than he died there. Like this guy was so advanced in his thinking in regards to, to understanding how to control and manipulate, you know, people. Uh, obviously, his his understanding of propaganda. He, he was going to comp- crazy lengths to try to be militarily ahead of every, everybody in regards to, you know, looking for UFOs and looking for anything he could do to try to be ahead. And I'm like, this motherfucker didn't have an escape plan. Like, you're telling me <laughs> right. everything was yeah. thought out. He thought out everything. He was trying to get an advantage, but he didn't have some type of escape plan. I'm like, that seems kind of silly when you really think about it. Yeah, he probably ha- would have a tunnel under there. How hard would that be? Switzerland. Well, I think there was a tunnel. Was in his in his bunker, I think the that they, there was town. one down there. I know that his dogs they killed his dogs, and well, Hitler had his. They say that Hitler had his his generals kill his dogs, and they actually tried one of the cyanide pills on Goldie, which was his favorite dog. This is in that book you gave me, Monica. The truth of it, I'm going. I'm just. This is what this book called Double Lives. It's about uh, Soviet pro- Soviet well propaganda, the popular front strategy, propaganda strategy front. They talked about Hitler's death, said that they gave the cyanide pill to Hitler's dog because Hitler didn't believe that it was going to work. And it did work on the dog, and it killed the dog, and that everybody in the bunker was more distraught at the death of the dog than they were of Hitler's wife, Braun. Cousin's wife, yeah, his cousin wife, who they knew each other for like 17 years, so she was he was like, his late thirties and she was like 15 or something like yeah, that. Yeah. There was something a little weird. They first met. 
Yeah. Yeah. So Hitler had all the dogs killed too. I mean, why didn't you just let the fucking dogs go, man? Well, you think about it, right? During that time, like it would almost make sense. Like you feel like as long as Hitler, like which was like the head of the snake, as long as he was still alive and giving orders, people were sh- so nationalistic and so um, obsessed with this belief and this idea of you know the greater Nazi Germany or whatnot um, being a world power that it was never going to end. I could almost foresee. The ally saying, hey, we'll let you get away, but we have to fake your death because it's the only way people are going to surrender and they're going to think that this, you know, crusade is over and uh, and we'll let you. And in Argentina, there's places in Argentina that are similar to like going to Miami where like everybody speaks Spanish. You don't realize you're in you forget you're in America like Argentina. There's spots where nobody speaks Spanish and everybody speaks German like a huge. I knew someone who was a, a grandchild of a Nazi whose wife was a Jew. So like for a while they were okay in Germany, like he could continue to be an officer. And then at a certain point that changed and they went to Argentina. I mean, this guy was the most German looking dude you'd ever want to see. And he was two generations in on the German thing. And obviously you guys know about Operation Paperclip and all that stuff and NASA, you know, obviously Van Buren. Well, that's why... The real assumption thing is the moon landing because Werner von Braun, I think that was his name, right? Came out and said, I'm not even going to work on this because rocket fuel is too heavy to do what you're saying. And that's why if you, the Elon Musk stuff that he's supposedly Elon Musk is working on is a different, it's not rocket fuel. So, you know, they're working on getting people to the moon. It's like, but why don't you just get your iPhone and download everything that they did to get to the moon the first time and just do it because whatever. But anyway, so it's a different kind of, of rocket fuel, which is exactly what Werner von Braun said they would need. And that that's one of those things, the moon landing where you really have to ask yourself, why do I believe it? I mean, on its face, it's actually kind of crazy because they're having that two way conversation on video over a distance that even light could not travel that fast, I think. Anyway, I don't know, but that I don't know because I don't know, right? So I just believe it all because they tell me. And and the real reason is that you don't think, Not I don't even think it's that you don't think that they could get away with lying to you because they definitely could, but that you don't think they would. You just don't think that the U.S. government is lying to you. And with the moon landing thing, I actually think it's rather a noble lie. If they were legitimately trying to intimidate the USSR into not taking over the world because we wanted to you know, keep the world free. Or because that's we a, wanted to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, it really wasn't noble, but it, but that, that's the real they, they could let that that out. They come down on that that conspiracy theory with a ton of, ton of bricks, but they could. Really, they, I never hear anyone suggest that it was a noble thing to do. But I, I, I mean, I question that, that they cared. Yeah, I yeah, mean, the idea I, that I, it's I, like it's not as evil of a lie as we like to make no. it out to be. Yeah, no, it's a noble lie. And but I, I, the only thing that the real question I have of whether the moon landing was actually real and not fake is that I, I find it very hard to believe that they would fake it out of loyalty to us. That's the thing I think is funny. I'm like, I actually don't think they they care that much about us. Or maybe it was a face-saving thing. That maybe makes more sense. And that brings to... Uh, I parallel the space race to the vaccine race. 
against Russia, China, whoever. So who's going to produce first vaccine? They call it Sputnik too. Yeah, they're calling it that. That's crazy. Yeah, it, it, it it's so true. I mean, so many of his history's conflicts. You have the U.S. on one side, and you have the Soviets on the other side. So many of these. I mean, you look at North Korea and South Korea, their hatred. I mean, who funded one side? Who funded the other side? I mean, you look at so many conflicts throughout the world. It's like they're just proxy wars, you know, or at least they're they're made worse because it's a proxy war. And and you have the U.S. funding whoever is going to be loyal to to them. And uh, so yeah, I mean, that's it. It is what the vaccine thing. I mean, this whole COVID thing. I think that you know, and talking about like military and foreign policy and proxy wars those things don't affect us personally as much as what's going on now and i think that's why i'm hoping a lot a lot more libertarians a lot more people who are for freedom and for you know those type of liberty and type of things uh they're they're going to be more upset than ever because the majority of us like let's be honest like if we're in afghanistan or syria or getting involved in the elections in venezuela like most of us still make her cocktail and, and, and go to church and do all our, like, it doesn't affect our lives that much. But now when you're forcing your kids to wear masks, you're forcing us to wear masks. Um, you're not letting uh, us gather at bars or restaurants or whatever, or you're forcing a vaccine. You know, I live in Massachusetts, you know, they're, manda- Oh my God. Yeah. They're, it's one yeah. of the worst. And, and man, two a year, it's going to be. Yeah. And they're mandating the flu vaccine, right? And and uh, and you're you know for kids, but but it is funny because I've told a couple of people I'm like, you do realize like technically if you're calling this a mandate because technically you still have the religious exemption, like it's still valid for the flu vaccine. Um, so I'm like in in those terms, then technically all the uh, vaccines that kids have to take first school are required so i'm like why are you guys only getting upset about this now and it makes me think that we've right. a- we've actually made some progress right because it's like wait so all the other ones that are man mandatory for you to get before going to school you weren't that upset about but now it actually seems like there's an uproar for the flu vaccine I'm, so i'm like maybe people's minds are actually changing maybe some good is going to come out of this yeah i think that a lot of people's minds are changing i'm starting to think that there's been kind of a flip on the the vaccine narrative with Trump taking the pro vaccine. Kamala saying she's not going to take Trump's vaccine. And he's calling her an anti-vaxxer. I almost think that, that might be some reverse psychology going on to get kind of like hydroxychloroquine, which might, might have been great. I, I don't know. I'm not saying it wasn't great, but I do know that people were willing, people who supported Trump were willing to take hydroxychloroquine because he did support it. I think the same effect could happen with the vaccine to people who might not have otherwise been willing to take it. And I think there's a possibility that we could oh, see yeah. a Trump vaccine and we could see uh, another vaccine and two groups of people taking separate vaccines. But it's still the vaccine. So that it's that's so, so typical of the of the state of our extreme division now is that both there we're just we're not arguing we're arguing whether a deficit should be four trillion or five trillion or three trillion or should give people the money directly or should bail out companies or we do vaccine A or vaccine B and not never nothing except for that to the extent that they do foment or at least feed a good narrative, a narrative that'll piss people off. They, I think, tap into the outrage of the free-thinking good people, and 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 I don't know if they, yeah, they kind of make that group the alt group, the violent group, the gun-toting 
QAnon. Now they say QAnon's behind everything. Yeah, QAnon or the Boogaloo Boys or whatever. And they just, they they will make this civil unrest and you have to be either in the basket of deplorables or a civilized person. And I, I mean, they might cultivate our get people to say they don't like the vaccines just to put them in that basket of deplorables. I just feel like they are allowing more dissent, but only right. If they can put it in the QAnon basket. Yeah. Yeah. QAnon's behind. No, not, apparently they're behind not wearing masks. I don't know if they were behind it a hundred years ago too, but <laughs> they're apparently the reason that people don't wear masks. Yeah. This, absurd. A, this idea of banning, and I'm not a Q person by any stretch of imagination. I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm not, I'm, I'm much like you guys were like, it's hard to find a home because we just piss off everybody eventually. Because it's like, <laughs> yes, I know. I yeah. feel so bad because I really like the people who who think Trump is Batman or who want to save the world from pedophiles. But I'm like, dude, if it's on the news, I don't think it's real. Whitney Webb gets a lot of shit too because because of that because of the fact that she'll she'll be outspoken about the links to to uh to trump and epstein and everybody's like no no no, just talk about clinton and epstein nobody don't bring up trump like he's our guy he's the one arresting pedophiles i remember one of the times i had her on i'm like listen everybody keeps saying trump's arresting (laughs) uh pedos i'm like how much is this shit's really going on like is there any truth to this she's like every year they're arresting pedos i'm like oh my gosh yes i'm like i noticed that it's not like before trump became president they just let them all go like there was never No, it used to drive me crazy because they would only do it once a year and i was like what if you got kidnapped the day after that day like you (laughs) had to be there you used to drive me crazy so that day just happened the other day and i'm like yeah it happens every year it should just happen every day as soon as you find out some kid is in somebody's basement get him out (laughs) no i'll I'll say I'll say in his defense, he he did during we were talking about the debates earlier. He did during a debate. I don't know if you guys remember this. He did bring up vaccines and question like the amount of them. And who was uh was he running with the guy who was also a doctor? Or was a doctor? Uh, ben Carson. Ben Carson, because they were trying to make Trump look dumb. And it was one of the debates where they're like, hey, you know, uh, Ben Car- Dr. Uh, Carson's a, a doctor. You know, he's like Trump seems to think that vaccines are. Um, you know, uh, can be harmful or whatever this and that. And even Ben Carson, who um, I don't think really had much of a, a strong opinion either or he, you know, Trump's like, well, you know, I think that they're giving too many. There could be some risk to doing that. I don't know. And and then Ben Carson's like, yeah, you know, I'd have to agree with them. You know, maybe we should rethink giving this many vaccines. So it's like even something that they make, they attempt so hard to make it look fringe and completely crazy. And if you question it, it's the most ridiculous thing ever. Like once you you just put out people's concerns and you talk about it and you're just like, no, I mean, just I think there's too many. I think that one size fits all isn't a good thing. I mean, if I've made giving everybody peanut butter and jelly, uh, that was a mandate. Everybody would have to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. There's going to be some deaths. There's going to be some people who are going to, you know, going to have some adverse uh, reaction to it. So what does that tell you? That tells you if you give everybody Like when people say, oh, vaccines have been proven to be safe. And I mean, obviously you can get into the lack of science that actually proves that. But you just think about it logically. Even if you're like, you know what? Fuck the evidence. Fuck dissecting science and studies. Let's just look at this logically. If I gave everybody in the world anything, any one thing, you pick it. There's going to be some people who are going to have allergic reactions to it. There's going to be some people. I mean, I've met some people who have some weird, you know, uh, allergies to certain things. You know, I'm allergic to this. I'm like, like, really? How do you? How are you? How do you even figure it out? Yeah. So it's like. You know, so the thing is, like, even the most harmless thing could be dangerous to some people. So this idea that, like, you know, you should mandate a vaccine to anybody is absolutely insane. 
not to mention it is slicing open the veins of very small children and inserting pathogenic DNA because it's so dangerous to children. Like it's the concept itself is a little scary. And they and in the beginning, a lot of people died when these they are RNA vaccines, aren't they? Which has never been well, done before. Yeah, I've never had a success. Which is like gene editing. Yeah, the gene editing is the to me that's really that that actually is a medical ethics question, if you ask me. Because do do, do those edited genes get into the genome then? Yeah, I mean, are that's you a good affecting question? That's what I was wondering as well. Future human beings and what what are the what are the long term effects of that? And are they going to force people to do it? They're pushing hardcore to get people to volunteer for the trials now. They're they're going as far to say that it's patriotic. It's it's your patriotic duty to be you volunteer yourself in a vaccine trial, which is like volunteering yourself for war. Essentially, that's the same appeals they use for war. Yeah, yeah, and and think about it. Like you, you, a lot of these people during the vaccine trial, they're going to be healthy people. They're going to want healthy people with no medical issues or whatever because they want to prove that the vaccine works and it's not harmful. There's going to be a lot of people, I mean, the majority of Americans, I mean, back in the day, it was like your doctor used to ask you, are you on any prescriptions today? It's like, how many prescriptions are you on? <laughs> you know, yeah. And so it's like everybody has a thousand different uh, issues. Some of them, I think, because of prescriptions. Um, but, you know, the average person who might have diabetes or some heart concerns or whatever it may be, they get the vaccine. They might not have the same outcome as the healthy, you know, young person who, like you said, wants to be patriotic and I want to save the world. So let me donate my time and, and, and life and, and, you know, health for this greater good. That's what I think is weird is that they're going to give it to the old people first. I mean, I would think that, that if you're going to have something untested that might have bad effects or even mild side effects for most people, because my my mother doesn't get the flu vaccine. She gets shingles, I guess, but she she does. So she'll get the shingles vaccine, but she won't get the flu vaccine because once she got it and she got really sick, a lot she's like, I'm not did. doing that. Yeah. And and if this thing is so deadly, if that is if you accept that official narrative and you're going, you know, it's like the ventilators, 97.2 percent of the people who were put on ventilators over the age of 65, which was most of them in New York, died, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Don't what don't do it. You know, it's just it's you are taking a vulnerable population and you're doing something dangerous. You might get more deaths than you otherwise would have. It's it has a name. It's called iatrogenic illness. It's they the already locked them up from medicine. Yeah, they isolated them and locked them up in old folks homes. They put them on ventilators by default. And now why not try the vaccine on them first? And they're, and they're probably in a weakened state being in those nursing homes where maybe, uh, you know, chemicals, they say if you, I don't know how kind of um, off center you get, Ricky, but if you listen to some of the people who don't even think that viruses, you know, that germ theory is the correct theory, it is called germ theory and it could be something else. And then you even see where um, that they say that what makes you sick are toxins, radiation, um, stress and bad nutrition. So if you're taking a nursing home and all you're doing is just dousing it in more chemicals than ever, you may actually make people sicker. And, and that's no joke. So if they've got them there, their families cannot sit there. The one thing I always tell people is you've got an old person in the hospital or whatever, make sure you sit in their room the entire time. Like we lost my dad that way. I'll never make that mistake again. I always tell people, you don't understand. Like, you 
You are the one who loves that person. You need to be with them. You can't even do that. I mean, these are serious things. And then to give them a vaccine that they don't know the range of an impact in that demographic, I think should at least be voluntary. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, you see it with parents when the whole over sanitizing thing happened. And finally, people were like, uh, maybe this is bad because we're not just killing bad bacteria. We're killing all bacteria, good bacteria, and your body needs it. And I mean, I, your immune system is like your muscles. You have to think of it that way, where like if you overwork it out, it can do some harm. But if you underwork it out, it gets weak. And that's exactly how your immune system is. It has to And be- most of those microbes are good for you. Exactly. It's not just yeah. that you're fighting them. It's that you need them. We are just like we're just riddled with that stuff. They can't even tell sometimes what's a microbe and what's an exosome or what's the, you know, they don't really know. And I think mitochondria, which is in every cell, was a bacteria that was absorbed. So it's got actually different genetic makeup than your own genes. So maybe taking antibiotics does some real harm. It does, you know, absolutely. To really, yeah. You know, to go out of your way to constantly destroy those microscopic organisms my, may do more harm than good. My my daughter got Lyme disease. She's uh she just turned four. It was like yeah she got a living in Massachusetts. You know it, it's uh unfortunate common. My my mother got Lyme disease too. She she her her situation was much worse because she didn't pick up on it and it was like really laid down the line by the time she figured it out. So she still has some health issues because of it. But my daughter luckily um. She, we found out like right away. We found a tick on her, and then uh, we she got the little like ring around the there. And I'm like, fuck, man. And I and I know yeah. like the hell that it uh it was for my mother. I'm like, oh my god, my little girl, my three year old little girl. I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, oh, you know how it is. It breaks your heart. Terrible. So, but yeah. But so we had, so the only way to d- do anything is give them antibiotics. So I had to put her on antibiotics for a while, and uh, and luckily. It, it did help, but I'm like thinking about like long term damage of the antibiotics. I'm, I'm not like, anti. Yeah. I always, like when my kids get strep, I always give them antibiotics. Yeah. I, I'm not anti at all. I just I feel like my, I also have a brother who died, they say, of AIDS, but really it was AZT poisoning. And or that's what he thought it was as he was dying because he stopped taking it. But if you read some other books about AIDS, Fauci recommended AZT. He declare you know proclaim the hiv aids connection but what age some- fear squads they were called aids fear squads that he yeah. led dr drew was on one of them there was Didn't a lot sh- oh. like shame people into taking uh, that well there, there was a lot that was bad around that but what they say the real cause was what some of the alternative thinkers i think are closer to the truth said was that especially i guess it was both the gay community and the intravenous drug community would take a lot of antibiotics because they would some of their behaviors, especially when there was overlap between the drugs and poppers and all that kind of stuff, blew up your immune system. But as they would get sick all the time and they would be on antibiotics all the time, it would blow up some of their cells, like cause cell death. And then you would have that mitochondrial DNA floating around free form in the bloodstream and it would come out looking like a virus or whatever it was. But that Actually, that AIDS epidemic might have been more likely the result of an overuse of antibiotics. So if you get sick, you take that. okay. but if you are in a situation where you're chronically putting yourself at risk for infection and you're just relying on the fact that you can chronically be on on antibiotics, I mean, that's just not a healthy lifestyle. And you got to think about that. So if we're transitioning people's thinking into constantly 
killing microbes and the number one thing is to kill microbes and extra medicine and extra toxins and extra all of that, even radiation, who knows, then that you can't people. I hate it when people say to me better safe than sorry. Like you don't know if that's safe. You know what I mean? Like you don't, there's not a default because the guy wears the white coat. You can't be, you really have to do your own research. You simply must. And you have to think of yourself. Like you have to think of, hey, you know, do I feel like whatever an allergy is or something? If you know yourself, you're more likely to know if you've had a strong reaction in the past. I got the flu shot. It made me sick. Oh, sure. You're just saying that. It's like, let me just make my own decisions based on my own experiences. Or I get insanely sick when I get the flu. I'm definitely getting the flu shot. There is a personal element to it that only you can really answer those questions. Taking it out of people's hands is dangerous. And telling them that there is one size fits all is is deceptive. It's deceptive. Yeah, and they don't know what they don't know. Most doctors aren't also research doctors. So when there's new developments in medicine, innovative breakthroughs, they're not often aware of, of the trials. Some of them are, but if you're not looking if when they tell you it gets to a point where a doctor will tell you that they're out of options that there's nothing left to do at that point that's when you should definitely say he's full of shit or she's full of shit because there might very well be because i've been in situations like that with uh, family members of mine where it just it wasn't true it, it, it wasn't anybody trying to say something on purpose but they just didn't understand the illness that they were dealing with and so they didn't know it but that didn't mean that it wasn't known or that there wasn't stuff out there so you do you have to be your own best advocate when it comes to dealing with health issues trust but also never let them tell you you can't do something well i'm a big fan of the keto diet i've been doing it for since before my kids were born so like I mean, probably five, six, seven years. And, uh, but I'm, I'm not one of those people who are like, join my cold. Everybody should do keto. But, uh, this quick story about Jim Abrams. I don't know if you know who Jim Abrams is, but he's the filmmaker who did, uh, Airplane and Naked Gun. Some of my favorite movies I've ever, uh, grown up watching. I mean, they're hysterical. But, um, so he started this thing called the Charlie Foundation. And, uh, when I found out that he had a link to the keto diet and some of the research behind it, um, because I was such a fan of his films, I'm like, oh, I need to get him on and tell his story. And this goes exactly to what you're, you're talking about, Brad, because what happened was that he had, um, at the time, he had tons of resources, tons of money, tons of fame, and he he had a child, his youngest, that was born that was having these violent seizures. And he brought him to all the best doctors. He got to cut in line at hospitals that had you know people who were waiting forever to, to see these doctors and and. and and he got to cut in line because he knew somebody who donated money or whatever. So he had all the best doctors and researchers, um, you know, that he could go talk to. Basically, just give him prescription drug after prescription drug. Uh, he had a, a surgery, which now looking back looked like it was unnecessary because it didn't do anything. Um, so all this stuff happened, and he was actually it was putting a lot of stress on the family because what what was happening was that this one child, his youngest, required so much attention that the other kids felt neglected. They, uh, I, I think I forget. I'm, I'm gonna um, mess up the title, but I think his he said that one of his sons um, actually wrote a paper or said something like, you know, how can I hate somebody I love or something like that? Because they were actually like angry at the youngest kid, you know, because you have to see from the, you know, from the kid's perspective, it's similar to when like, you know, if you're the middle child or whatever, like you end up feeling like nobody's giving you attention, you know, you and um, so you can see all these dilemmas, all these conflicts at this this issue is causing not just physically but emotionally and all this stuff so he was actually researching on how how to actually handle this these uh these family issues 
and ran into some research about John Hopkins and how in the early 70s they actually found success in getting kids in ketosis and getting rid of these, these violent seizures. So the idea is like your brain can you, you know, you're basically that the idea, I don't know if you guys are very familiar with the keto diet. I know it sounds like a trendy diet, but it really isn't. It's, you know, your body, if we're hunter gatherers, we're supposed to go uh, be able to go long periods of time without eating. Like, for example, I fast all day. Like I haven't ate yet. I'll eat after this podcast. Um, your body is supposed to be able to go long periods of time without eating because food wasn't always guaranteed. You know, you would have to go long periods of time without eating, which means that you would have your body would eventually go in ketosis, start burning the fat that's stored. That's why it's called fat storage, because you're storing fat for when you need it. If we constantly give it sugar and carbs, then it's just going to keep storing it. It's never going to go to uh, the storage. And your body, it's kind of like a hybrid car. It can run off glucose or it can run off uh, uh, you know, fats. You, know, you get these ketones and you uh, burn fat for energy. Well, John Hopkins found out that if you put these kids on the ketogenic diet, get them in ketosis, then... They would completely cure them of these seizures because of the fact that what was happening um, with these seizures were, and I'm simplifying it because I'm an idiot, but it had something to do with like their brain inability to process glucose as, as an energy source. So, and then you give it the other energy source. He ends up looking into this, goes to his doctor and he's like, Hey, I ran into this research. Um, what do you think of it? He's like, Oh, it sounds too hard. And he's like, my kid is having violent <laughs> seizures. Like, you know, all day like it can't be any harder than what i'm dealing with so he gives it a try in days completely off every prescription drug completely cures them of seizures and not just that like these seizures were so violent that um he he has long-term effects because of the violent seizures so um so his kid actually eventually charlie ends up uh one day getting off uh the keto diet for like a, a day or something like that and seizures came back so they know it wasn't coincidental um so it was obvious that uh, it looked like a ghost just walked behind you. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it got <laughs> my attention. Amazing. But uh but and so it, it it so to make this long story short, well I already made it long so I can't make it short. But uh to, <laughs> to get to your point uh, Brad is that this guy Jim Abrams, famous filmmaker, had all the access to all the best resources. He had all the best doctors. He was supposed to have all the best research, went to the best hospitals, I mean, uh, um, uh, universities, uh, worked at the best hospitals. And even these guys didn't know about this alternative. Even they didn't know about this other research. Even there they- is suppressed health information. I was just reading a book by Jonathan Emort, who's a First Amendment lawyer, and it's called the, the Global Censorship of Health Information. And they don't get it, and they don't, and they laugh at you. And you, I found, I've had doctors laugh at me when they bring research. But uh, there was a guy who won a Nobel Prize. I heard it on um, Greg Carlwood was interviewing somebody about it, David White maybe, but no, Gordon. Gordon White. And he was talking about this three, the Nobel Prize was given to a doctor who discovered that a three day fast, water only fast, cleans up your immune system because, and it makes such sense. I try to fast and I just like, maybe I need to like bust through it, but I just can't. Like my, my heart goes crazy. Like I get heart palpitations. I've got to figure it out because I love to fast. I can do, I well, can do it. Well, just, I the- worry about it. Well, the key is to get in ketosis. If you get in ketosis, like I can't, like sometimes I'll be at oh. work and and pre- and people at work will be like, "How did you go to the gym before work? You're at work right now, and you're all you're having is coffee and water." I'm right. like, and they're like, "I can't do it," and I'm like, "I wouldn't be able to do it either." I, I would actually, 
if I went to go play basketball or play soccer, went to the gym, and if I didn't have enough calories, I would get lightheaded. Like I'm like, oh my blood yeah, sugar is low. Yeah, me too. That's you what know? happens. I yeah. can't figure it out. I I was that. I, I that what was. What do you my, do? But well, my problem was that I was a sugar or a, a glucose burning machine. I was my body needed was dependent on glucose. So once that glucose was gone, once my you know my blood sugar levels went down. Is that three it, days? Well, well, what what you need to do is like slowly start um. In, adding more fats to your diet and start taking the sugar and carbs out of it. And eventually you're, and, and that's why they call it the keto flu. What the keto flu really is, is just your body um, learning how to burn fats for energy again, you know? And um, like, there's this story of this guy, I forget how many hundreds of pounds he was where he fasted for like a year because he, he was just taking, I guess, multivitamins and, and didn't, and just water and like, didn't have anything else because his body would, got in ketosis and was just burning you, you're ever so hungry that eventually it just goes away you, yeah, you basically totally. just you you just forced your body to go to to hop in ketosis it's like okay i want insulin i want sugar i want carbs well you're not giving it to me now i need to go to plan b which is let me burn this fat and it starts burning fat and then you lose that hunger well that's what happens when you when you're in ketosis you can also get like ketone supplements that help you with the transition oh really um, yeah it just basically you put it in water they used to taste like shit but now they actually taste pretty good you can use it to, to help. Oh, to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I know what you're saying. Yeah. But they use what, what this guy was also saying about the fasting is that it basically your body at that point, three days of nothing but water will not just like switch from glucose to um, ketosis or whatever, but they it'll gobble up all the like fragmentary crap that's floating around in there. It literally like cleans it all it's a up. Detox. Because, it's a detox. Yes. It's, I mean, it's the same thing with the carnivore diet, right? You look at a, a, a what's his name? A, Peterson, uh, um, Jordan Peterson. Yeah, Jordan Peterson. Peterson. You look at him and his daughter. They both. The family has like tons of issues with autoimmune uh, diseases and issues with like all types of things: depression, anxiety, all these autoimmune issues. And um, they did the carnivore diet, and it worked. Like they did the keto diet initially; it helped a little bit. Then they completely did uh, went carnivore. And the reason why I think it works, and I think many people I've talked to agree, it's not so much because meat is this magical thing that like gives you all, everything you need and, and cures you of stuff. It's because what you're doing is detoxing. Whatever that, tr- we talked about how like, you know, one person can, could be, um, get an allergic reaction to something that's completely harmless to the, the majority of us. Well, when you have autoimmune disease or some type of issue like that, then, or a gut issue or whatever, you never know what's triggering it. You know, it could be, something like it could be something as simple as like a spice that you use to marinate your food it could be whatever it may be so when it's the process of elimination with the carnivore diet it's not that adding more meat to your diet is healing you is that removing whatever's hurting you is what's helping so you end up removing literally everything and you only eat the one thing that without a doubt throughout the beginning of history our bodies have learned to digest and that's meat animal you know foods so, it's what we're made out of so yeah and and you figure you know we if we killed something you know we were going to eat the fat we're going to eat the you know because we didn't know when we we're going to eat again the food wasn't guaranteed so you had to just eat everything and you know even stuff like liver and all that stuff like that stuff's actually very nutritionally dense like they say the you know who like the the king wolf is because he gets all the intestines and all that stuff because they they know it's it's more nutritionally dense um, so yeah, well, without a doubt, it, there's actually, and, and this goes into, you know, talking about propaganda, the food industry, there's tons of propaganda, the way that they sold you on, you know, low fat, this low fat, that, Oh, uh, sugar's just as empty calorie. Don't worry about it. And they did the same thing that the tobacco industry did. Got some shitty scientists, got some shitty doctors to tell you that cholesterol is the thing you should worry about. 
fats is the thing you should worry about. I mean, do you remember the food pyramid growing up? I mean, it was all yeah. breads and carbs. It was the most ridiculous thing. And ever. the government is the one who propagates that information. It's not because they're trying to help us. People are like, well, you want regulation, you want research, you want all this stuff. Who's going to do it all? It's like they're not doing it for you. They're they're a they are there to it's like truth and advertising. I don't want truth and advertising laws because once you have a truth and advertising law, they can lie and fool you. But if there's no truth in advertising law, then you're like, well, I got to figure out if that's true or not, because they could just be lying. And that's I feel like that's what the FDA is. And that's what all the government stuff is. It's just a way to get us to believe what somebody someone who can just slip a couple of bucks under the table to feed us lies. They're not doing it out of altruism to us. That's what they're doing with the vaccine right now. The FDA and the vaccine companies coming out and saying they're not going to rush through approval of Trump's vaccine. <laughs> the, the companies have said we, we won't even submit it to be approved because we want to make sure that the public trusts our process and trusts the vaccine that we do produce. Yeah, well, we talked about when Dell Bigtree was on and Monica, I think you were on with that call. Yeah. Uh, the whole hydroxychloroquine thing. I mean, a lot of what was pushing the demonization of that was the fact that they couldn't fast track a vaccine if there was some type of treatment that could be used. So the reason right. why they were f attempting to demonize it or Big Pharma really wanted to demonize it was because of the fact that it's like, OK, if, I, if, if we want this ability to cut corners with the FDA, we need to make sure that there's zero other alternatives. So if there was some success with this, then it would prevent them from being able to uh, to, to fast track it. So. It, 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 it would was, make everything the past eight months moot. Every measure they've implemented, everything would be moot if hydroxychloroquine does what people say that it does. Yeah, well, the thing is, too, it's like people, you know, it's so ridiculous because everything becomes political. Some people are like, well, you know, there's some uh, negative effects. I'm like, have you watched every prescription drug commercial ever? Yeah. Have, <laughs> have you have you read the, the list of shit that that stuff can cause at the end of it? I'm like. Every prescription drug has some can have some negative effects. I'm like, why is this one put put on a pedestal, put on some standards that none of the other right. ones have to meet? It's because it, it was political reasons. It was you know it was a big pharma thing, you know, and and that's the thing. Like even that, I'm like, I'm not anti-Trump or pro-Trump. I'm anti-big pharma. And and when big pharma is trying to force feed you a vaccine and they're trying to demonize a drug that they actually FDA approved. Uh, now it's like, wait, if this is so dangerous, why did the FDA approve it anyways? You know, like, should, should and it we doesn't even have. Yeah, right. And it doesn't even have to be a pro Trump thing. I mean, Trump could be there just to taint it. You know, he could be working for them by being the bad guy who it, it can cause a divide too between the mm -hmm. doctors and patients, the doctors, if a, if a patient or if a doctor prescribes it, to somebody else, a patient might say, oh, my, my doctor's a Trump supporter. I got to get the hell away from him or vice versa. If a patient asked for it, they might say, get out of here, Trump supporter. They, they so politicized it that it, you know, people couldn't even look at what it did and what it didn't do. You can't even ask for it, right, without being painted. I mean, that's what's really crazy. People say that we have this complete divide and we're more polarized than ever and Left and right is further apart. Left and right is closer together in all ideological ways, and they literally just assign random stuff to one side or the other. I mean, why is a mask and hydrochloroquine Republican and not Democrat? It's so stupid. And why does it have to be one thing or the other? Like, I always thought that about, I had a um, a friend of mine in graduate school was gay and Republican. And he was like, yeah, I just, I can do math. So I, you know, I, I think it's crazy. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not Republican, I'm Libertarian, but like he thought lower taxes and incentive, giving incentive for more productivity and whatever, 
But over time, he just said, man, I just I can't get by in the Hamptons as Republican. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just I'm, I'm a Democrat now and I'm hardcore and I'm, you know, I'm going to rallies and I'm having the time of my life, but I cannot tolerate. You know, I, I just I have to pick a bat. You know, he didn't say a basket at the time, but you have to pick a basket. And that gives the people at the top so much power over what they put in that basket. And then, you know, and that's where it comes out with like the QAnon and the Boogaloo Boys and then Antifa protests and riots. Like you are, are, I feel like on the left, they get people to advocate all of it in the way that you've shown us, Binkley, like with the clips, they actually teach people to advocate it. Whereas on the right, they just make the basket and people have natural desire to defend themselves, to protest, to um, have smaller governments, to um, assert their rights. And and but but either regardless of why you're in either basket, they they have on the one hand Molotov cocktails and on the other hand, um people shooting each other, you know, according to the official narratives to taint the whole damn basket. And, and you want to find somebody like-minded, you go to your bar, you go anywhere you want to go to find somebody like-minded who you can just communicate about one issue, masks or something. And you can't do that. You have to, we're all being siloed virtually and we have to pick these baskets. And that's why you and I will sit here and say like, I'm not a Trump supporter, but this is ridiculous and I'll tell you, people will hear what we talk about any of my shows or anything I say. And if they're really strongly left or right, they will. People are equally mad at me all the time for being pro-Trump or anti-Trump. I told you, Binkley, about the email I got from an old friend who's just like, I listen to your show, but your pro-Trump stuff is just intolerable. I'm like, I have no pro. And then I go, I do this little video with a friend of mine who's real conservative and he's just like, there you go again with your anti-Trump stuff. I'm like, it's, it's not, don't make me be in one of these baskets. Cause these baskets are full of bullshit. Like one of them has hydrochloroquine in it and the other one doesn't like why. Yeah. They characterize quote, both sides by the radicals on both sides. When in reality, they most people aren't the radicals. Most people are a lot closer apart, but because the groups are represented, at least in the media by the most extreme of the groups, then Anybody who just associates with them gets seen that and, way. And they group all these issues along with those people. So it's like, OK, I'm a staunch gun supporter or I, I'm a vigilante and I shoot everybody in the back who's running down the street. Or the other guys I show I throw uh, ice filled water bottles at people because I hate cops. It's like, OK, what does that have to do with masks and hydrochloroquine? You know, like that's what I can't stand. It's like they take those agents provocateur. They take those what I it, coined as the taint agents and they taint either one of those movements and then they throw all this other stuff in it so that you can't have any independent opinions about anything you have to be in one of those baskets you can walk alone like we do but you know we'll just be in the tunnels we're just going to be in the tunnel cities the tunnel people they don't want people taking a third or fourth position they they fight hard against that but like any single issue very few issues i would just say like you're plato or you're aristotle you either believe in everything's good for the collective or individual rights matter but even the side that would defend individual rights now all of a sudden has uh it has Q, which isn't, I mean, maybe it is about individual rights and in that they don't want individuals to be sexually abused as children, but 
they there's all this other stuff that piles into that. Trump is Batman and all that kind of stuff. I think that's the thing. It just it feels like there's no way to express any opinion that does not pigeonhole you into a basket full of a bunch of other opinions and full of some like lunatic with a water bottle or a whatever long gone. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That That's why when Trump and Bernie were running, uh, the two sides actually, I think they agreed on a lot of stuff. They agreed that they wanted something different. It's like, okay, our different might be different from one another, but we both just don't want the same cookie cutter option feeding us the same bullshit. We just wanted something different, regardless what it was. And, you know, the Bernie side, I think that's what it was. It was like, okay, he's a socialist. He's a outspoken he sounds different he looks different than all the other politicians same thing with trump so it's like they both kind of wanted the same thing even though you know you could have conversations about ideology or maybe the lack of ideology in regards to trump but you know the the thing is like they, they everybody was just looking for something drastically different and i think that's a good thing you know but it also shows the power we we're talking about you know propaganda and how people are turning on one another and how they get stuck in this tribal thinking i mean i had uh so at the time at the height of this this uh lockdown I was sharing article or I mean, it, it was easy because it was just like there's constantly articles showing that the statistics were wrong. The tests weren't accurate, that people were inflating numbers, all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I would get accused of sometimes being like, oh, well, you know, you you only have people on your show that you agree with or whatever. This and that. And so Scott Horton's been on my show a bunch of times and he was kind of, you know, a little afraid of this. So I'm like, he'll have a civil conversation. I had him on. We ended up having a full conversation about it. And even him as a libertarian, I was kind of surprised that. It, t- this is, I could be wrong, but from my perspective, I felt like, wow, this guy is this very uh, libertarian thinking person. And he, even he feels like, well, yeah, maybe we should, you know, keep people safe and lock things down for a little bit. Maybe we should, you know, so it's like it, it almost surpassed your strong ideologies and your strong philosophies that it's like if you scare people enough, you might throw all that shit out the window and be like, you know what, government, help me, save me. Well, they want to challenge your view of the world. Like, so when I when I see something crazy, like a bunch of school shootings coming out of nowhere over a short amount of time or this a a virus that is both incredibly virulent and infectious and fast spreading and impossible to contain and insanely deadly, deadlier than anything you've ever seen before. The reason we don't have a place for that in our minds is that it's it never really happens. It's, you know, if if the world were full of school shooters, we would have known about that a really long time ago. And it would have been part of our fundamental law. But our fundamental law, our expectations of biology and society have emerged, whether you know, you're religious and you think it was handed down by God and human nature and one tidy bow or it emerged over time, over 10,000 years of civilization for you to uh, to see this is how human nature is, this is how societies work, that these are our assumptions and these are how we form our ideologies. That's why I think there's only like two ideologies, Plato or Aristotle. What is the fundamental morality? Is it collective or is it individual? I think it's individual because the individual is the one who has volition and can decide on whether they behave morally or not. The other way, who's the person who needs to be informed about moral behavior? So you you figure out your ideology based on what you know about society and fundamental law and all of that stuff. And so what they're trying to do now, with, they started it with terrorism. They said, well, the, the, you've heard this all the time. The founders didn't figure for, on terrorism 
so we need what Chertoff said, a fundamentally restructured architecture of the law. But that's not true, because as Ron Paul was like completely mocked for saying, we have letters of mark and reprisal. That's how we dealt with pirates, which is what terrorists are. It's either a state that is bombing you or attacking you or trying to take over your land to assume that property to, to, to collect taxes on its own behalf, in which case you get to have a war. Or it's people who are not sponsored by a state. Those are pirates. Those are privateers. And you are allowed to go around to all of your allies and even neutral other parties and say, hey, Osama bin Laden is a privateer. He, we are not going to bomb Saudi Arabia, which is where he came from. We are going to ask the whole world to give up Osama bin Laden. And then maybe that was the reason that Ron Paul supported going into Afghanistan to get Osama bin Laden. But it's not why he says, well, now we have to take over 10 countries in the Middle East because you never know where terrorists come from. There are always laws and they come down to who's responsible. So like even with the the virus thing, you don't do what Emord, who I was talking about earlier with the First Amendment, you don't do what you don't do what he calls preemptive action or preemptive restraint, prior restraints. He calls it prior restraint. You can't tell people you can't go out because you might get a virus and you might give it to somebody. The way it works is if you go out recklessly, you're totally aware, people tell you you could spread this virus, and you spread the virus to somebody else who did everything they could not to because you were reckless, you are going to be responsible for that. They could then, they get to ruin your business. And then people get to decide what kind of chances they take. Or you can go out and expose yourself to it and take your life into your hands. And when you get sick, you don't get to use government facilities or you don't get to sue anybody. And that's why you can't really have like a left-leaning libertarian who believes in socialized medicine, because then you cannot be a libertarian. You cannot have your own decisions if you're relying on somebody else to pay for the consequences of your actions. But we have those systems in place. In this country, I think if you look at the foundation, it is more Aristotle than Plato. It's becoming Plato. But if you look at it, it's all there for you to be held responsible for the consequences of your actions. And that is why we are permitted liberty. So I would never fall for that thing. And people, libertarians were saying the feds can go into Portland. Like, no, they can't. Portland elected those idiots and gave up their gun rights or whatever they did to get themselves in that position. I had no control over their laws. I had no control over how they were behaving. And I don't have to pay for it. And nor do I have the authority to go into those people who made themselves a mess because they are no longer capable or willing or able to, you know, maybe they don't have the guns to stand on the four corners of their property and defend themselves. And I would even take it one step further and say, they, we, we gave up the right to have private roads. So the roads are public. So you can't even defend the road that connects your business to the apartment buildings who provide your customers. But we should be able to. People say that, like, who will build the roads? Anyone but the government. So I would say when you're in these marginal situations, these things that push up against your assumptions and you're told that this is an unprecedented situation, you have to dig in and really identify what it is and what the remedy would have been if, if it were couched in a previous time or in a different way. But I think the whole power that they have is that they continuously tell us this is different, this time is different. And I would say there is nothing new under the sun. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's uh, w- without a doubt. Uh, it's and I think the the re 
reanalyzing things and, and realizing that like things don't have to be the way they are now. Like we've been told this is the only way to have an economy. This is the only way to have a society. This is the only way you can live civilized together. And it's not, you know, there's alternatives, there's alternative views. There's, and you know, when Ron Paul was running, I, I remember getting a lot of the little debates with people and they would say, Oh, well his, his views are extreme. And I'm like, that's exactly what they want you to think. They want you to think that everything that goes against the, the grain, anything that's outside the norm is, is, uh, you know, is, is too extreme to work or just too extreme to transition to. So let's just vote in something that's kind of different, but more or less the same. And that's what we keep doing. And, and that's a, a huge issue. That's why, you know, your show, my show, all these podcasts that, you know, they're, they're provoking so many different thoughts in people's minds and people are listening. And I mean, you never know who you're influencing and, and how, you know, that's going to influence the next great thinker or, you know, person comes up with the next great company or idea or whatever it may be. Um, you know, you, I use Martin Luther King cause he's kind of a well-known historic figure, but he was influenced by lesser known men. You know, he was influenced by the guy who's the old guy who's waiting at the bus stop when he was a kid. His and wife. His he wife. was influenced by his wife. Yeah. And his many girlfriends. And, um, <laughs> and, but, but yeah, I mean, he was, you know, but, but my point is like, we're all, you know, people always make the argument, well, what, what change can, can I do? Or what change can, can we create or whatever? And it's like, well, sometimes you're indirectly doing it and you're not even aware of it. You know, somebody's listening to this conversation right now and they're going down a rabbit hole because of something they heard provokes, you know, a whole new way of thinking. Well, they have a conversation with somebody else and it, you know, causes the ripple effect, you know, which is why that's I called why, it that. Yeah, the yeah. ripple effect. That's why I like the union of the unwanted is that it comes across, it kind of cross pollinates because I don't, I mean, I, I feel a little sometimes... I feel a little fringy even in that crowd. And that's that's saying something. But but I find that I also think hear things and I'm like, wow, I never even thought of that. So as I mean, I think that's a, a tremendously you know, multiplicative power that the mainstream media has that networking thing and social media and everything is like they just it's an echo chamber. It all builds on itself. And if you could actually have a, a chamber where it's not echoey, where you're allowed to think freely, and then the expansion of thought and independence and courage to get out of that that um, cone of silence is so valuable. That's why I don't care at all if anyone ever agrees with what I have to say. I just really, I want people to disagree because maybe it's something I never thought of before, but I want I want the integrity of thought and the actual sobriety, even though I'm major cocktail chick, but I do think you have to really think seriously. And even if it is when you're having a cocktail party, but dig into all those things and that that's, and that the, the communication is so important. I mean, I, I, I wonder, I, I feel like it all started that union of the unwanted started because we all realized that we're on the precipice of possibly doing something important or getting completely censored because if it really, you know, that that's a, that is that does make me nervous that the more hope you get from that independent thinking and our ability to communicate with each other, the more of a threat it is. And it feels like they have such power over this digital space. Yeah, I mean, we, we the, the name came about because me, Sam, Mike and Charlie were doing a swap cast and uh, we we're talking about censorship. And that was kind of the focus on the swap cast. And then uh, we're talking about how it's like none of these platforms seem to want us. They don't, you know, they don't, they don't want our, our whatever we're creating. 
And uh, so, and then Mike said something like, yeah, we're kind of like the union of the unwanted. And uh, I'm like, well, what the, I'm like, that's a great name. We're like, we, and we're all like text messing after the show. We're like, we got to do something with that. I'm like, that's such a great idea. And then, you know, I was saying how, like, I always wanted a reason to get, mo- I love, if, if you look through my archives, I always try to find reasons to get multiple guests together. You know, like um, John Finch, who's an MMA fighter. He was, uh, j- you know, wanted to come on my show. I was talking to him and our mutual friend is Jason Burmis. I'm like, hey, Jason, you want to co-host with me? Just hang out and talk. And and then, you know, same thing with like, um, you know, Richard Grove from Tragedy and Hope and, and Brett Vanat. I'm like, hey, why don't you guys come on together? You know, and uh, and I just like the, the you know, it's the you you bounce ideas off each other. You, there's a, Did you invent the swap cast, Ricky? Is that what you're telling us? <laughs> no, I am not Adam Curry. I did not invent anything to do with uh, with podcast. He was actually, I don't know if you the guys. The swap cast, though. That, yeah, did uh, Adam Curry invent the swap cast? I don't, I don't know. But I'm sure somebody did did, did a swap cast before I did. I'm, I'm definitely not. I, I know I heard that term before I started doing them. But I, I like the idea, the idea of uh, the wisdom. I think it was Hunter Motz who said uh, the wisdom of crowds. And uh, I know you're libertarian. Um I actually had Hunter Motz on the the debate Adam Kokesh of uh, twice because it, it was so really? fun. yeah it was awesome it was fun and because uh, Adam you know how Adam is he's he's willing to debate anybody and I like talking to him and I'm like hey you want to debate this other guy that I'm friends with that is a really intelligent person uh, Hunter Motz used to have a show called um, actually he was the co-host for the Brian Callen show and then they changed the name to uh, uh, it was Mixed Mental Arts which was a great name uh, it's kind of a shame that they don't continue it. But um, but really intelligent guy. He wrote the book, The Straight A Conspiracy, um, all about this idea. He, he went to Harvard and, you know, really intelligent guy. And he's like, I want to burn my diploma on camera. He's like, I would, just to prove a point that he's like, it's ridiculous. It doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, and The Straight A Conspiracy was about the idea that like, oh, this person gets uh, A's in math because he's just a math person, you know, or this person, oh, he's just a history person. It's like, no, 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 that's, that's the conspiracy that... Like, for some reason, you don't have the same abilities to learn something the same way they do. It's not about that. It's about, you know, somebody just doing a shitty job of, of provoking interest in that topic or subject or whatever. Um, so it was, yeah, it was interesting. But I love the idea. And he, he's the one who said, he would use terms like idea, sex, which I think I ended up using in one of the, uh, the swap casts, which uh, I love in this idea of, of um, you know, just the wisdom of crowds. You bring people together. And if we... If the three of us come together to try to solve a problem, we're going to solve it much quicker than if we're doing it on our own. So it's the same idea with like these swap casts, just bringing people together, you know, and when we're trying to resolve something or or just trying to figure out where we stand on something, the more people and the more minds that we bring together, the more likely that we'll come out to a much uh, better perspective on something, you know, so. Um, and you get those superstars to come chime in, which is super fun. It was yeah. awesome being like. Del Big Tree, that was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And Richard Gage. Yeah. Um, no, the, uh, is that the architects and engineers? Yeah, from Richard Gage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ray, yeah, they're, they're awesome. Yeah, that was super cool. I was like, whoa. Yeah, and I think the next one we're going to, uh, I know Pete, I don't know if you know who Pete Evans is. He's awesome. He's uh, this Australian, um, he's actually, it's funny, he's an Australian like conspiracy theorist now, but he's actually a paleo and, and uh, a chef. I mean, he was uh, like, a, he's like a big deal in Australia and New Zealand and stuff. But he became like very popular in the conspiracy theory world because 60 Minutes Australia uh, did a whole piece on him in regards to him, like basically saying, you know, saying that the whole COVID thing was kind of bullshit and that there we should be talking about health and how to increase your immune system. Totally. Yeah, and they were totally. trying to paint this picture that he was like this crazy David Icke person. Um, <laughs> but and but he's really into spirituality and all this stuff. Really awesome guy. 
he's coming on. Uh, I mean, I'm trying oh, to think of a bunch of yeah, a bunch of other people are, are coming on the next one. So hopefully you guys can join us on the on the next one. It's yeah. I was wondering if maybe because Sam's like, oh, include those guys, include those guys, and then I come out and I'm just like, hey, Edward Snowden's fake and. Everyone looks at me like, what? You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, that's, I mean, I'm a, I'm friends with Corbett and, and Corbett, you know, throughout the years and I have done a lot of shows together and there's a couple of things that he says that even I, myself at first, I remember the first time he was saying that, you know, Edward Snowden could be fake. And I'm like, I remember pushing back totally. on it. And now I'm like, oh, I'm like, I can, I can He's see totally that. He's totally fake. Yeah, but I yeah. mean, yeah. So, but people don't like to hear that because it's, see that, like we were talking about Alex Jones before. I I don't know what those guys are, why some things are weird that come out. I don't know. I don't know why Ron Paul doesn't talk about 9-11 probably because why freaking blow up your whole scene for one little thing? Like, it just doesn't make sense. I really don't know. But even if anybody is a limited hangout where they they say 80% of the true things so they can send 20% out there that messes everything up, I love that 80%. It's more than I'd be getting if they thought we were complete morons, you know, if they didn't have to give us something and it's our job to make that work. So I don't care if Edward Snowden is fake. I mean, he raised awareness. Now, we'll see where the proof in the pudding. But I mean, if people don't take what the truths are that he lays out there just because he lays them out in the context of, I don't care if they do it as long as it's legal and then they just change the laws, which is what actually happened. Then it is on us. Maybe that's a revelation of the method thing, which would be topic for another time, because that's when you really like I really start wondering, like, is so truth is bad. You know, the revelation of the method is where they tell you what's really going on so that you are responsible for it. I can't. That's when I start getting a headache. Well, the idea is to <laughs> assess the information, to ask questions and critically think about the information that's what they don't want you to do. Instead, they just want people to think in terms of blanket discrediting of a source. So if it comes from Putin, if it comes from Snowden or whoever you want to pick, Alex Jones or whatever, condition people to automatically just judge it 100% based on the source and not even look at the information, which they actually said that in one of those trainings that we we covered last week. They said, just discredit the source. Don't worry about analyzing the information. This is what they were teaching activists people who are training to be activists and that's such a, a great technique during the whole lockdown thing it's like if I, anything i shared anybody who's anti um you know uh opening up the country or any any of the stuff that people on the right were saying they uh they're like well that's ben swan he's an rt uh you know russian uh today or he's an anti or she's an anti-vaxxer she's a, i'm like can we just argue about or, or debate that the, the information I'm yeah. like, you know, like the whole RT thing is ridiculous because, I mean, Tom Hartman, who's a progressive, has a show, had a show on there. Jesse Ventura's on there. I mean, do you think these are all Russian spies? I mean, uh, you know, Larry King has a show on uh, RT. I'm like, these, yeah, they're all Russian spies, you know, so it, it I mean, is. RT is propaganda, but that, it, it, like all propaganda and limited hangouts and everything else, like you have to have some truth or no one is going to buy it. And it's yeah. our job. And I don't blame anybody for going and taking a job there. Why not? Why not get your truth out and leave it to the person who the, the audience to assess it for themselves? Yeah, Ron Paul goes on there sometimes, and one of Stacey Abrams' biggest uh, uh, surrogates is that she has a show on RT. Nobody cares when it's related to her. Yeah, no. Well, that's the thing. It's like James. I remember when Abby Martin had her show. People like Russ Baker, James Corbett. I mean, tons of uh, uh, good researchers and journalists were exposed to new audiences because of her show. You know, so 
I think, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you can't. That's a huge issue where people just like look at like, oh, well, they, you know, they wrote her that. And I've said it on the show before where somebody's morals might not be like in the right place when they're exposing somebody. So in other words, like somebody on the right might expose somebody on the left, not because they care about exposing corruption, but only because they want they care about exposing somebody on on the other uh, end. But if they're still exposing corruption and there's some, you know, something there worth looking into, then it's still a good thing, even though they might have only done it because they're tribal and they're defending their team. You know what I mean? So it's like if Fox News exposes some corruption with the Clinton Foundation, then, yeah, maybe they're only doing it because the Clintons are Democrats, but some good's coming out of it. Same thing if vice versa. If CNN exposes some Trump corruption, and even though we know CNN is very biased and hates Trump, we can't you know, completely ignore it just because it's from CNN, you know? So I, I think, like you said, it's a huge issue where people just look at the source, but it's like, everybody's a little biased. Everybody has a little bit of an ideology and an opinion. You can't, you know, this goes back to the whole, like putting certain people on this pedestal because you wear a white lab coat or because you have a, a police uh, badge that all of a sudden you're the only one who doesn't have a ideology or some type of um, outside influences, influencing or inside influences, uh, influencing your decision making and your perspectives. Isn't that what like Putin said to Chris Wallace? Yeah, like, it is. Yeah, he kind of said that. Yeah. What did he say? He said basically just that. Like, trust. Look at the information. Look yeah, at. Yeah, he said did, it, the, it doesn't mean emails. it's all not true. Just because right. it comes from a certain person. Yeah. Which is what they're trying to do with QAnon. They're trying to make it so where. People just won't believe anything that, that comes from QAnon and then say that anything they don't like comes from QAnon. And how convenient is that? Yeah. Yep. So true. But I, I won't I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know you guys are busy uh, and I probably should have told you in advance, like, hey, how much time do you have? But uh, uh, can we tell the listeners uh, like where they can find your show, your projects, anything upcoming or whatnot? Yeah, I'll take the main stuff. And frankly, you can talk about our latest project. So. We do a uh, podcast called The Propaganda Report. We do a kind of sub-propaganda report called The Drive Time News Blast every single day, which is 30 minutes of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice, which we do because it's needed. There, You know, you just, who wants to listen to the news all day? So we're doing it so you don't have to. Peeling away the propaganda. And you can find that on um, the propaganda report on any of your favorite podcast feeds and we also have the com and patreon which is i was talking about earlier where we have an extra 15 minutes a day plus we have these really wheels off cocktail parties where everyone does truly have a blast there's some swag we've got some early release stuff so check out the patreon.com slash propaganda report is pretty awesome and we just did something launched something new this week we did we launched our roth Rockfin channel, our Rockfin channel, where we're going to do some deep dives into. I watched a lot of panel discussions from the think tanks. I, I go to a lot of activist trainings, and usually there is like 20 views on these videos because they're long, boring, and dull. But there's always extremely revealing shit in there that hardly you hardly ever hear about but you hear it and you're like holy shit it's unbelievable so I, yeah, yeah i try it so i try to kind of peel back the curtain on some of those things and we do deep dives we're going to be doing deep dives and stuff like that on our rockfin channel yeah i'm yes. i'm liking rockfin yeah they, they uh yeah actually, it's funny because when you were talking about your uh how you wouldn't enjoy doing a solo show 
So Rockfin, they they also contacted me. Actually, via Sam Tripoli. I don't know. Maybe that's how. Yeah, us yeah, too. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's awesome. Yeah, and and I know that uh, Whitney Webb's over there. Jimmy yep. Dore, uh, uh, Ryan from the Last American Vagabond. They've have a lot of really cool people. So it definitely seems like they're not looking to censor anybody because they're they're getting everybody that's controversial on their on their it's platform. It's a We stopped posting on YouTube at all. Like I'd stop because once they started taking me down, you know, you only get three of those and then you're gone forever. You lose all your subscribers. But then, so I stopped posting, but then I don't, I don't put, you know, I hardly post there and I just needed, we, so we didn't do videos or anything because podcasting is a little safer, but now they're, they're basically, it's a safe space for videos. You got to pay for it, but you get everything. Yeah. 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 I, I, I like the idea. My only problem is I, like I wouldn't want to, you know, I don't want to do another similar thing that I'm doing now. I like to keep the Ripple Effect podcast completely open source, like James Corbett does, spread it as far as you can. But uh, so I thought about doing a solo podcast, but then I'm like, so you know, I've attempted to do them like years ago. I'm like, oh, let me try. Like when there's there's holes in my schedule, I'm like, oh, I don't have a guest for like a couple of weeks. I'm like, what the? F-? I'm like, I need to give people something. Then I I, I remember a few times I tried recording like a solo podcast, and I'm like, I hate hearing myself. <laughs> I, I, I sound like I'm preaching and No, you know what you do? Here, I have an idea for you. Drink. Find something <laughs> they'll accept they tell you they ask you what you're willing to commit. So we're committing one hour a week. Find a show that you love or hate and mystery science theater three thousand it. So just play it, stop it, say what you you know, so then it feels like it's somebody else. Because that's what I used to do before Binkley was with me on the radio is that I would just have clips so that it felt like I was, you know, just a change of sound or whatever. Anyway, there's an idea for you yeah, because if you're on it, your people who subscribe to us could also get your stuff. And then we could say, Oh my gosh, Ricky's on there. You know, Sam's on there. So it has, let's counter the network effect of the mainstream media with the network effect of the unwanted. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the only reasons I'm really even contemplating it. And I've been doing it for quite a while now because I, I actually signed up with them for a while. And they're like, uh, they're like oh, well, let me know once you have your uh, your first episode and you have an idea what you want to do. And I'm like, okay. And it's been like weeks and weeks go by and weeks or go by. Or do a swap, invent the swap cast for that because everybody there has to come up with exclusive content just for that platform. So you go through and... Give that hour to, so then Sam can get exclusive content from you, and he won't mind that it's only there. Huh. That's not a bad idea. Do like a, a Rockfin-only yeah, swapcast? Yeah, and just do like Whitney Webb one week. And, I mean, you could, as their, their Damn, portfolio you, you libertarians broke, are so clever. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm an idea person, and I actually also can execute some kind of, you know, like the whole package. The secretary. <laughs> yeah. And, and I like to drink and get loose. Is this like a. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm the package. I'm actually the, a bot. I'm like, if you know, you're chick on a bot. dating website, you'd be a hot ticket. If like this chick can make me some money and get drunk with me. What? <laughs> I know. I know. But you know what? The thing is, I'm running out of steam. This is our last <laughs> try. I have been like, I started WSB nine years ago and I was giving it five years. So I'm like four years over <laughs> over my expiration date. So we're doing this. We love it. It's super fun. We love having this conversation. And uh, I love having those ideas. Like I just, I love, we'll, we could be your first guest on, on Rockfit if you wanted. And that, you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody would go for that. But anyway, so they, I wouldn't hesitate to do it. It's really, I think it's going to go places. 
I, I, I keep so. hearing swab cast, and I'm imagining a coronavirus <laughs> testing podcast. <laughs> we just share our experiences with the coronavirus testing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Swab spit. Yeah. <laughs> if there's a two for one sale, they can check your prostate at the same time. Yeah. A... yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, I wonder if they do, if Rockfin's okay, no matter how blue you get. I'm sure they don't care yeah. if you get off color. You can have porn stars. Have a have a porn star. Oh no, that's probably. I'm, I'm married. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> my wife might be a little against that. Yeah. The Howard Stern she, thing, you know, just yeah. he just went from talking about politics to just having freaking strippers up there, and he's like, yeah, I get censored when I talk about politics, so I'm just gonna go for the strippers. That yeah, it would be a nice. Well, that, that same thing I'm sure with you guys uh, doing that whole you know cocktail hour thing. It, it's a uh, it's a fun change of scenery, you know, just kind of be loose and yeah. yeah. It's so I look forward to it. Like that's the crazy part is that I I mean I get a whole pass from the family to step out on Friday night to my little zoom party. But like by, by Monday, I'm just like, okay, five more days, four more <laughs> days, three more days. But cause it's all, anything goes super fun. Anyway, next awesome. time, next time we'll have a cocktail party, Rick. Yeah, definitely. We should do one of the union of wanted shows. Just tell, tell everybody yes. they should drink, get like 30. <laughs> wow. Imagine the crazy conspiracies that would come out of people's mouths. Like I've never told anybody. I think Trump's a reptilian or something, you know, or yeah. people getting who hammered. Would, you have to get the right, like, guest. Yeah. Who would foster the kind of, you know, even a bartender. You David know, the Icke. greatest bartender. Let's get, let's get David, David. David Icke on. I could drink Dude, yeah, he him. wouldn't even notice. Yeah. Well yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And plus, he could talk for, like, eight, 18 hours straight. So if yeah. we got annihilated, we're like, David, just take the mic for a little bit. I need to go <laughs> throw up or something. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that would be fun. Actually, I don't know if I could pull it off, but I, it would definitely be fun to try. Come on, you can do it. <laughs> but but thanks so much, guys. Hopefully, I see you guys. I think it's uh next week on Monday, seven p.m. uh Eastern time. Uh, hopefully, I see you guys then, and you guys can make it. And uh, definitely keep in touch. And good luck with the Rockfin thing. I'm really excited. I'm. Mean, it's got awesome to see that more uh, cool people that I like are going over there. Yeah, hope to see you there. All right, thanks thank for you having so much us. For having us. Hey, thanks, guys. See you keep, soon. keep in touch, and, and we'll talk soon. Yelling. Believe in the ripple effect.